When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, it's time. Our last show of the week. That means it is time for me to try and tackle questions on any subject. Now, the idea behind this exercise is they should be questions, right? I mean, uh, they should not be lengthy monologues. They should be things that you're genuinely curious about. So if you have one, now's the time because it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. anything. That's right. Uh, For the next hour, I will do my best to field your questions on any subject. 800-848-9222. Whoever comes up with the best question in the eyes of Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and Joe who is sitting in for Alex Barnard today. Uh, We are going to give away a prize of some sort. There are three open lines. Uh, I know a lot of folks uh, heard the uh, the local commentary at the top of the 1 a.m. hour that I do at WABC in New York repeated from yesterday. We apologize for that, but uh, we're a little shorthanded, so these things happen. We're only human, folks, right? Uh, Those of you that that are perfect, Please be the ones, the first ones to line up and throw some stones at Kenneth. But uh, if you do throw a stone at him, make sure it's a large one. 800-848-9222. Let me begin uh, with um, David in the Bronx. Hello, David. Hey, good morning, Frank. Um, I was doing some reading about presidents today, and something I noticed, and I'm wondering if you have some thoughts on this. In the modern uh, era, do you think it's possible for a childless and never married man or woman to become president? Because we've only had one person in our history who pulled that off. Right. It was uh, James Buchanan, who most people believe was gay. Uh, And until until uh, President Biden, he was the only president from Pennsylvania, although a lot of people consider Biden being from Delaware, even though he was born in Pennsylvania. But, um, you know, it's it's a good question. And the answer, honestly, I think is yes. Uh, I think it's actually much more likely today than it would have been 150 years ago, because I think um, there was such a a desire for uh, traditional family values, the uh, desire to emulate what was considered the uh, prototypical nuclear family. These days, I think a lot of members of the public are more accepting of increasingly alternative family plans. Now, it's not unusual. Years ago, it was considered crazy to be divorced and run for president. And yet Ronald Reagan was able to get elected divorced. 
Trump was uh, he was elected after being divorced twice, having um, children with three different women. So look how far the Overton window has widened since uh, the you know since the founding of the republic. So I yes, I do think someone that has never been married and is childless would. Uh, could potentially get elected. I do. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Uh, this is about retirement. Yeah, tomorrow's my last day at a job, 48-plus years. Oh, congratulations. Out. That's great. Right. Yeah. Do you have an age you think you'll be leaving, or are you going to stay to, you know, beyond? Uh, honestly, I... Um, I, I hope to be able to stay on and do this forever, right? Um, but, you know, but, but this is what I would do for fun if I could, right? I mean, if I didn't get paid to do this, I would have another job to pay the bills and then try to find a station that would let me do this for free. So this is what I do for fun, right? And um, I, um, uh, w- when I first had the opportunity to do this show, you know, I was making a decent living uh, working at another radio station, but this is exactly the kind of show that I was eager to do. I took a pretty significant pay cut in order to uh, to do it. So I, I uh, look, there could come a time where I don't sound good on the radio anymore, where um, I'm not quick thinking enough, where I'm suffering with dementia. And at that point, I hope my family around me and my friends will not allow me to go uh, and be on the radio every day and make a fool of myself. But assuming that doesn't happen, I'm hoping to do this literally until uh, the day that I die. Pete, congratulations on your retirement. And I hope that doesn't mean that your listening schedule is going to change. Hope you're still going to listen. I will, Frank. I will. All right. Wonderful. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yes, Hi, Hi, Tom. Uh, my favorite sitcom was The Odd Couple. Great, great sitcom. And, and you, you know, I wonder if they'll ever make a new mo- uh, make a movie, a modern-day version of The Odd Couple, the individual that can play Felix Hunger, believe it or not, he's a natural. Michael Riedel. Michael Riedel is a natural right, for Felix Hunger. Look, I, Think like, about it. I like Michael Riedel. Thank you, Tom. I, I'm not sure what your question was there. but um, And again, that's the kind of thing we want to discourage. And the other thing I got complaints about last week, even the people that did ultimately come up with good questions, was... Um, that people talk too long before getting to the question. If you're calling in, and we have two open lines now, 800-848-9222. If you're calling in and you're wondering what a question is, usually they begin with words like what, why, who, how, does, do. Those are all where, an occasional where, when, maybe. Um, Those are all pretty good indications that you're about to ask a question. Um, You know, the subject that you bring up, though, and obviously there's been several good odd couple movies. The Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau movies are just terrific. But uh, the question that you raise about what television programs should be made into motion pictures that haven't, that's an interesting question. And that's one that I think maybe we'll review as a talk topic in the future because there's a lot of good shows that could have been made into movies uh, that uh, that haven't been. One of my favorite shows, uh, science fiction, uh, that I think would have been a great motion picture was Sliders. Sliders is great. And since I've been doing this show and we talk all about parallel worlds and things like that, 
um, I, it's gotten me thinking more and more about how realistic sliders might be, meaning how it how realistic it might be or might not be. And I'd love to see a motion picture explore some of those uh, questions, right? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Igor in Fairfield. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. Hey, by the way, don't ever tell your employer you would do what you do for free. I think I think they've got a pretty good idea. You know, uh, you you know, any offer that I've ever been made, you know, when they made me the offer to work here, when they uh, renewed my contract, there was no negotiating. There was no, uh, oh, you know, how about you give me more money? I don't even think I looked. I just said, yes, of course. (laughs) Yes, that's what I'll take. So, yeah, I think they know they've got me over the barrel. Very good, Frank. So, Frank, the question I have for you is that a lot of people in your industry in the past, people like uh, Bob Grant and, and Alex Bennett and, and Cousin Brucey Morrow, they all changed their name to a show name. And I was wondering, though times have changed a lot, if anybody in your industry ever exerted any pressure or made a suggestion that you become Frank Moore or Frank Morin and, and kind of wipe that ethnicity off your name? Uh, no, no one did. Uh, honestly, Igor, thank you. And uh, I never really gave it much thought. When I was um, when I, I when I was a child, I was very interested in the JFK assassination, and I'm still interested in the JFK assassination. And uh, I explored a lot the case that uh, the district attorney in New Orleans County Garrison brought against Clay Shaw. And even before that Oliver Stone film came out more than thirty years ago, even before that, I was a student of what Garrison had done, and I gave him a lot of credit for bringing that prosecution. And I thought, um, you know, I remember researching the Clay Shaw character, the the person Clay Shaw, what he did, what he was alleged to do, what he might have known, what he might not have known. And I thought, well, gee, you know, I thought it was interesting that Clay Shaw once used the uh, pseudonym Clay Bertrand. So for a while, and I think this was when I was in junior high school, I would use the pseudonym F.M. Bertrand. That was it. But I never really used it. I never introduced myself that way. I think I uh, might have just written some stuff that wasn't published anywhere with that pseudonym, F.M. Bertrand. If you ever see a title published with F.M. Bertrand, then chances are maybe that's something that I've published that I don't want written under my own name. Or if you're uh, looking to impersonate me on Facebook, as seems to be the trend these days, maybe use F.M. Bertrand and people will think it's me. 800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 8-9-2-2-2. Let me say hello to Alan in Queens. A lot of fellas today, not a lot of women. Uh, good morning, Frank. My question is this. Why is money so important in political campaigning? Because from my perspective, let's take uh, Clinton versus Trump or any, uh, any uh, uh, election. I don't care if Trump paid 10, mil, 10 times more than Clinton, and I don't care if Clinton uh, paid uh, 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 10 times than Trump. I listen to the candidates and uh, make up my mind. Well, it, it sounds like without – I mean, I yeah. know you can – Yeah. Uh, well, let me try and answer your question, Alan, okay? Um, so the reason is – and those two candidates that you just mentioned are in some ways candidates that money mattered the least to – especially Donald Trump. Donald Trump, during the Republican primaries in 2016, spent less money than any other candidate. During the presidential campaign, 
if you include the money that was spent directly by the Clinton campaign and by the outside groups, I think he was outspent in the neighborhood of about 10 to 1. About 10 to 1. I mean, you're talking a hundreds of millions of dollars uh, disparity between the Clinton campaign and the Trump campaign. And what happened? Trump still won. Um, one of the things money does... Now, you talk about how you listen to both candidates and make a decision based on what they say. Well, how would you know if a candidate is running or not? If you don't know if a candidate is running, then how would you know that that's a candidate that you like or not? Um, One of the things money can do is buy you name recognition, get you on TV, get you on radio, digital ads. That all costs money. That's where the bulk of campaign spending is today. Now, that matters less and with a candidate like Trump than almost anybody else. Trump is maybe the one candidate that could run for president without spending a dime because he has universal name recognition. And he gets billions of dollars, not millions, not hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in free media. So if you can get free media attention, you don't need all that money. But if you're uh, trying to get people to know who you are and you don't have universal name recognition, then you do need that money. So that's why you need money, to make sure people know you're running and know what your message is. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good candidates that have run for office over the years but haven't had any money to get their message out. And people don't know they're running. So they don't get any votes in both the primary and the general. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. I'm seeing a lot of political questions, which is kind of boring. I'd love to have some non-political questions um, because you get politics all day. So uh, I'd love to have some questions that are creative, that are out of the box, that are different. And whoever comes up with the most creative questions, we will give you a uh, a prize of some sort. So that's kind of be a little creative. Don't limit it to just politics. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to um, Ed in Staten Island. Hello, Ed. Hi, Frank. My question is, have you ever read The Art of War? I never read it. Uh, Sun Tzu, who John Katsimatidis quotes a great deal, uh, is obviously one of the most influential literary philosophers of all time. Uh, I haven't read it. I think when I was in high school, I might have read the Cliff Notes in preparation for a course or, or something along those lines. But uh, I uh, no, I've never read it. So we'll continue with your questions in just a moment. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It is Kim Wilde's birthday today. She is 62 years old. Can you imagine? Isn't she one of these people that you just always view as being eternally youthful? She's in her 60s. Unbelievable. Happy birthday, Kim Wilde. 62 years old. 
Uh, congratulations to her and to everybody celebrating her birthday today. Let me say hello to Alyssa in Manhattan. Hello, Alyssa. Hi, Frank. It's Hi. great to talk to you again. Likewise. A while. Yes. My question for you tonight is a uh, three-parter in a sense. Okay. Um, tell me what was the happiest day of your life, the saddest day of your life, and the scariest day of your life. Let's see. Happiest, saddest, and scariest. Let me think on all of the. All right. Well, so um, happiest, I'm going to say, um, I'm gonna, you know, I, I realize it's a, a little bit of a cliche because everyone says it, but there's honestly no day that I've had that comes close to the birth of my uh, my son. You know, that's uh, that's the, the by far the uh, the happiest day that I've ever experienced. The saddest day was when I, I got a phone call that my friend and colleague, uh, George Weber, had been murdered. And I got a call from uh, my boss at the time informing me of that. That was – I've never felt anything like that uh, at all, you know, you know, at all. In terms of the scariest day, I had um, – you know, when my wife and I were dating – she uh, had to be taken to the hospital uh, because uh, she, you know, she had a, a medical issue and they weren't really sure what it what it was. Thankfully, everything was was OK. But, you know, just going being getting the call that you have to go to the hospital right away. That's uh, you know, that's that's a pretty big one. Also, I would put September 11th up in that category because it seemed like every 10 minutes you heard a different story about um, another crisis or potential crisis or oh, a plane hit uh, the World Trade Center, another plane hit the World Trade Center, plane hit the Pentagon, plane went down in Pennsylvania, and then all these rumors started floating that there were planes everywhere. There was a rumor that it was a plane that had been gone down in Battery Park, and it just seemed like we were really at war and that anything could be the next potential target. But those are those are my three. Uh, happiest is birth of my son, saddest, murder of my friend, and uh, scariest was a, a tie between uh, get, taking, uh, taking Rachel to the hospital and uh, September 11th. Well, thanks, Frank. Thanks, Alyssa. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. So I I was talking about this in my local commentary on WABC in New York, but since a lot of you didn't hear it, let me repeat it now. Uh, I am told that this morning on WABC at 840, uh, Sid Rosenberg's very special guest is going to be Eric Adams. So I am actually going to write out a list of potential questions. He didn't ask me to do this. No one has. Uh, that I hope Sid will ask Eric Adams. Ten good, respectful questions that uh, I th- am genuinely curious about. So if you want to email me, if you have any suggestions for questions, I'm going to take the three or four of your best questions also, and I'll give those to Sid too. No guarantee that he'll ask them, but uh, you know that we'll see where it goes. Jerry is in New Jersey. Hello, Jerry. Hey, Frank, uh, like your show. Uh, if you happen to find yourself someday on death row, what would your final meal be? You know, I've gotten this question before, and I think it would be um, – it would probably be a um, a lavish – lobster dinner with, with all sorts of elaborate sides and, um, you know, a nice, uh, I'd like cheese in there somehow. So maybe an appetizer that included <laughs> cheese of some sort, maybe a nice, uh, t- um, you know, burrata appetizer. And then, uh, you know, a whole lobster w- with uh, some cream spinach on the side, some garlic mashed potatoes on the side or, uh, yeah. So that's, that's probably where I'm going. I'm probably going lobster. 
You really thought about this, didn't Well, you? I, I do. You know, Jerry, I'm very distrustful of the criminal justice system. And the way I figure it, it's just a matter of time before I end up incarcerated or on death row. I hope that's not for a while. But thanks, Jerry. You know, I've gotten that question before, and really it does depend on your mood. So sometimes it's eggs. You know, I'm a big fan of breakfast. I love brunch. Uh, love Japanese, you know, so any of those, I'd be a winner. Well, I wouldn't be a winner. I'd be on death row and poised to be dead. But uh, what a few minutes that would be. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Ralph in New Jersey. Hello, Ralph. Uh, Hello, uh, Frankie. Uh, I have a question for you. And this has something to do with foreign policy. As you know, the uh, foreign policy... uh, of Biden vis-a-vis China leaves a lot. Of right. What's your question, Rob? Now, What's your question? The, the, I'll go. I'll go to my question right away. Without further ado, um, you know, President Trump has this America first policy when it comes to his foreign policy with China. Okay. How, what What do you think that means for you and me? What do I think? What means if you for can, you? Yeah. What do I think? What means? The America, what What does the America first policy of President Trump? means with our foreign policy vis-a-vis China. All right. Well, thank you, Rob. That's actually a good question, right? I think in practice what it means with pre- if, with President Trump, and we got a preview of this during his first term, I, I think it means protectionism, which I'm all for. I think it's crazy to see how um, American manufacturers have been taken advantage of by China. And our reward for not doing anything about this is they steal technology and intellectual property from American companies. And then they uh, they don't – a so-called communist country, a whole movement that's supposedly built on uh, better labor standards, they don't adhere to any labor and environmental standards. So here in America, you've got to pay – if you're making a widget – You've got to pay a worker $15 an hour. You have to make sure you're not polluting like crazy. You have to give some health care. You have to make sure that the people working are not eight years old. And those are all good things. I want to make very clear. Those are all things that I'm, I'm supporting. But think about it. If you're an American manufacturer, you have to compete with a Chinese company that's probably ripped off the formula for whatever they're making to begin with and then selling it to the same consumers that the American manufacturer is trying to uh, is trying to do that. It makes you wonder, why did no one before Trump do anything about this? Well, we know why. Because uh, they wanted China as a market for American, uh, some American goods. They wanted China to continue to be a lender. And uh, the Chamber of Commerce and big business that's running both parties, they want that those cheap goods from China so that they can offer these prices to consumers. They don't care that... Um, you know, that Americans lose jobs. They care about low prices. If everybody has to work at Walmart to be able to afford Walmart prices, so be it. And that's one of the things that was so refreshing about Trump. So that's what I view as uh, America first foreign policy with respect to China. It's protectionism. It's making sure that if we're in any trade deal with China, that they have to uphold American labor and environmental standards. That's not a crazy thing. And, and you know, the thing that I'm surprised by and I'm a I'm a big I I recognize what a problem climate change and global warming is, and I'm all for doing something about it. But the thing that I'm surprised by is so many of the people that um, talk about climate change and global warming, they seem to have no problem allowing China to pollute like crazy and then flood our markets with goods that are produced in these pollution producing factories. So um, 
I think that's the hallmark of it. It's protectionism. It's it's fair deals. And it's um, making sure that China's held accountable for doing things like lying to the world about COVID. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Barry on Long Beach Island. Hello, Barry. Barry. Barry in Long Beach Island. Why do you got Steve holding on the other line? (laughs) Uh, Steve, not only am I going to disconnect you now on this line, I'm going to disconnect you on the other line as your penalty for trying to sneak in uh, under a a pseudonym, uh, under the guise of uh, asking something more interesting. Jennifer is in Boston. Hello, Jennifer. I enjoyed your call to Dominic last hour. Oh, hey, Frank. Yeah, it's a terribly sad story. Yeah. You know, sometimes you hear something, Frank, and you just can't shake it. That's for sure. It's just, uh, I don't know. So thanks for that. Um, and anyways, I wanted to follow up quickly and then ask a, qu- a quick question mm-hmm. if I could mm-hmm. follow up. Um, my last time I called, I talked to you about, um, oh, God, his name Fred Allen. <laughs> I'm not I'm tired. Yeah, I'm, I am working on that. I am working on that. Yeah, because I, I just, he's such a neat character. And I know. A hundred percent. Completely agree with you. Yep. So I just following up to see if you were going to start. Yep. No, I am hopeful to do something. Yep. Oh, sounds great. And, um. The other thing was, I was talking uh, to a gentleman friend of mine um, early this afternoon, and I don't even remember how it came up. We were talking about um, the difference. Like, he was saying that he found women so much more beautiful, like, of the the 70s than the women today. And um, I know, like, for for me, I always thought Peggy Lipton and Lindsay Wagner were absolutely gorgeous. And, And, oh, God, her name just escaped me, too. The black woman that played the nurse. Oh, my God. What, Pam Greer? No, 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 oh no! Isn't it awful? Well, played played the nurse in what? Um, there was a show about a nurse. Oh God! Even the show's escaping. We went. Oh, a Diane Carroll. You're talking about? Thank you. And Julia. Julia. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, who loves you? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I had it all in my head earlier today, and there it is. And trust me, nobody appreciates the power of uh, sleep deprivation more than me. Yeah, I know. As as a parent of a young one, so yeah, so. Um, yes, I just thought she was exquisite. So, and and I think there was a humility to to people back then in the public eye, and I I don't know, maybe that's why they appeared. But I was going to say, if you had to, uh, do you do you think that people do you notice a sort of a change? Do you do you find anyone more attractive as far as back then? Do you know what I mean? The way this guy was saying that he does, and I did too. I just I just don't find the young women today as attractive. Uh, he was saying the same thing. And if you had to pick a couple of beauties from the 70s, who would you pick? Well, let me start with the latter part of your question uh, because, uh, you know, I, I that I'll work my way backwards. So if I yeah. had to pick from the 70s, the, the three conventional beauties that most immediately come to mind, and then I'm going to name one that's a little more unconventional, the three that most immediately come to mind are uh, Raquel Welch, um, uh, Angie Dickinson, and Sophia Loren. Uh, it's those three. However, someone who I have just always had an incredible soft spot for, maybe it's because I get the sense that she also has a great sense of humor and a great intellect, which counts for a lot with me, was Anne Bancroft. I find, and found, she's passed away, uh, obviously, I found mm-hmm. Anne Bancroft so incredibly sexy that for years when she was alive, she was always my um, celebrity crush. In terms of um, comparing different what women in different eras, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know that 
I agree with your friend there. I think there are a lot of beautiful women around today. I think um, I think a lot of it might be a function of of attitude. You know, I don't get into yeah. so I, I think a lot of the the behavior of uh, certain young women today it, it's not the kind of behavior that I might find attractive. They're more likely to g- g- need to include the words like every other syllable, which I find to be a big turnoff. Um, they're more likely to have that vocal fry uh, where they sound like a reality uh, star. But I think there are a lot of beautiful women around today. I don't know that they're necessarily depicted as broadly in the media, but it's a great question, Jennifer. Thank you. Have a good weekend. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Bobby is in Valley Forge. Hello, Bobby. That's me. Uh, My question is, do you think confirmed atheists should receive or accept Christmas bonuses? Yes, I I do, Bobby. I I think if you're lucky enough, thank you for the call. If you're lucky enough to work for a company that gives Christmas bonuses, and a lot of companies don't, but if you're lucky enough to work for a company that gives Christmas bonuses, I think think, yes, you should absolutely be entitled to it just like every other worker was. And you know what? If you're actually calling it a Christmas bonus, then chances are you're a Christian, right? And if there's one thing that Christians believe, it's treating others irrespective of their faith, as well or better than you'd like to be treated. So 100%, I do think they should receive them. And uh, I, as far as whether they accept them or not, that's, that's on them. I guess that's a question of uh, their own ethics, their own, their own conscience. 800-848-9222. Uh, let's uh, say hello to Isabel in Manhattan. Hi, Isabel. Hi, Frank. Uh, yesterday I was on hold, but you ran out of time, so I couldn't ask you this. I want to ask you, do you have information of where we can write uh, to get Pete Rose inducted into the Hall of Fame? Well, uh, you're, you're going to have to write to the uh, commissioner of Major League Baseball, uh, Rob Manford. Um, do, do you have email? Yeah, my son does. Okay, but you can um, you can send him a, you know a, a conventional letter as well. But uh, yeah, this is all <laughs> up to Rob Manford, the commissioner of uh, of Major League Baseball. Their office is um, is here in New York. Uh, they, they're at twelve seventy one Avenue of the Americas. New York, New York, one zero zero two zero. So it's twelve seventy one Avenue of the uh, Avenue of the Americas, New York, New York, one zero zero two zero. I don't have his um, email in front of me, but I think it's uh, if your son were to look it up for you online, uh, that's the best place to do that. It's Rob Manford, the Commissioner of Major League Baseball. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to Mike in New Rochelle. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. I was wondering if. John Katzmatidis woke up and said, hey, listen, we're going to change the format of the station. We're only going to play music, and you can keep your time slot and your days off. What format would you choose to play? Um, well, I don't know. I'd probably do an oldies format. Oldies format? Yeah, yeah I like an oldies, an oldies format. I think so. Sounds good to me. Thank I'm you. And, and you know what? In New York, anyway, there's not a lot of, and you know this better than most, Mike. Thank you. There's not a lot of great oldie stations. Even CBS FM, which calls itself an oldie station, they, they, the, the oldies for them is music starting in the 70s. I want to hear 50s music. I want to hear 60s music. And there's some great oldies channels on Sirius Satellite Radio. You got the 60s channel, the 70s channel, and the 50s channel. But now there's very little in the way of 
what Cousin Brucey does. Actually, you know, having shows that make that music the focal point. You do have a few. I think uh, Tommy James does a show on there and a few others. But that's the exception. I mean, I want to hear DJs telling stories about the music. I want to hear artists coming on, um, talking about their experience, creating these great songs, uh, people taking calls, uh, you know, taking, uh, putting in dedications. You don't see that on satellite radio for the most part. So, uh, but I'm hoping that um, we don't change formats. And if we ever were to change formats, then I would call Alyssa in Manhattan first and tell her, that's now the scariest day of my life. 800-848-9222. We're going to continue with your questions in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Reynolds, this is the Jonas Brothers burning, burning up. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this show, just join our Facebook group. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. We are in the midst of... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. I got a question here from George. This is an email question. I'll try and get a couple of these email questions in because I always neglect them. Uh, Frank, if your salary was the same, etc., would you accept the offer of doing the morning show to co-host with Sid, or would you rather stay where you are? I love working with Sid, and I think that would be a lot of fun. But no, I would absolutely much rather stay where we are. The only, if I could make one change, it would be that I'd love to do an extra hour of a talk show, right? Because there are some days where I just feel like I don't get to uh, comment on all the things uh, that I want to comment on on a given day. I'd love a fifth hour, but no. I've done morning show hours, and... um, um, I've done e- overnight hours. Overnight hours are are the time slot for me. And you know the kind of format of overnight radio is the is the format for me. You know when you do morning radio, you really are pretty much just limited to talking about the news of the day. I mean, Sid does go beyond that a bit because he's such a great entertainer. But you're pretty much, especially on a news talk station, you're really limited to doing news of the day stuff. I like to do all sorts of other things. As you could tell, right? And you get to do that in overnight radio. I also love to do a nice long interview. I, we're going to have Max Moore on next hour for an entire hour, I think. Can't really do that in morning radio. You know, in morning radio, a long interview is 10 or 11 minutes. It's very difficult to do that, um, you know, kind of thing. And just uh, the, the hours of overnight radio are just more my jam than uh, than morning radio. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to um, Tony in Clifton. Hello, Tony. Hey, Frank. Hey. I, I was 
thinking of something really silly, so you can answer it if you feel comfortable. Sure. I lived in a condo building, and it was very, um, how can I say, like very noisy. You can hear everything. And one of the things that I never, I never noticed before is that you could actually hear people at night, you know, being intimate because there were no firewalls. And some buildings are like that. I don't know if it's like that in your neighborhood. And so if there was, here's my question. If you lived in a building like that and you had particularly, maybe even neighbors that are a bit older and you didn't want to be disrespectful and you heard them making like a lot of noise, um, how would you approach it? (laughs) Would you just let it go? uh, I would, but I think others would disagree. And I lived in a building, uh, you know, one time (laughs) before I moved in with the my wife, um, I'm trying yeah. to think, when, you know, I didn't remember hearing much in the way from my neighbors in our previous building. But the building I lived in as a single guy <laughs> before that, there was a couple that lived upstairs and all they would do <laughs> was fight. They would scream at one another. It was really mostly right. the woman scre- screaming at uh, her boyfriend. And right. I wished they would they would have sex occasionally because all they would do <laughs> is fight. And I have to tell you, though, the fighting itself... I was really into it. I I got really a voyeuristic thrill out of it, and I've never lived in a building where I could hear audibly hear people having sex. But I think I would be into that. I think um, you know I, there's something pretty exciting about being a, a fly on a wall and getting to eavesdrop when people don't know that you're listening. Whether it's people fighting or people having sex, not my jam. Now, Rachel, when she would stay over when I lived, uh, you know, in, in that apartment, drove her crazy. She hated to hear uh, these people fighting all the time. Drove her crazy, really upset her. I, it got to the point where I didn't even hear them after a while. But I kind of get in the zone, you know, whether I'm working or reading a book or uh, trying to sleep. I, I, I'm like kind of like Joe DiMaggio when he's eating a donut. I get, I don't get distracted by anything. 800-848-9222. So, yeah, I would let it go is my view. But that's because my personal taste. If If that's not your situation, Tony, maybe, you know, maybe have a conversation with them and ask them if they can use their inside voices when they're inside. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Gene at the Jersey Shore. Hello, Gene. Franco, you been? Not bad, Gene. Thanks. Good. Hey, a quick question uh, was, have you had to enter the witness protection program? What area of the country would you select to lose yourself in? Mm, that's a good question. I feel like they usually put you in the Midwest, like uh, Iowa, Utah, places like that. So um, I don't know. If it were up to me, I um, hmm, it's a good question. Maybe Colorado. I've heard a lot of good things about uh, Colorado. I was there. I was there once briefly in my youth, uh, and uh, maybe give me an opportunity to do some uh, outdoor things. But you know, I'm trying to think. Um, maybe, maybe Florida, because I feel like there's um, a, even though I'm sort of anti-Florida, there's so many New Yorkers that have moved down there and brought with them things like good pizza and good bagels, that I think that might be a good way to, I think it would be, uh, uh, there's enough places in Florida where I could sort of hide out, but there's enough New York culture that has exported down to Florida that um, that I could still get, you know, some meals that I really enjoy. I would also, because everyone knows that I'm not the type of person that would ever move to Florida, if somebody was looking to do me in, 
I don't think they'd be looking in Florida, right? 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. You got one of the most famous faces in the country now. You don't think they could find you in Florida? I, I, uh, <laughs> I Again, I'm hoping not to end up in the witness protection program, Neil, but I'm also hoping not to end up on death row. One never knows. Right, you got to be prepared. That's right, Frank. I'm going to change my question. Um, uh, there's, there's always been talk for many years that in Roswell, New Mexico, they have aliens and a spaceship, and it's being hidden from everybody. Uh in some sort of secret uh, place. Uh, I was wondering, Frank, uh, if the spaceship really came here, like supposedly it did, uh, it had to be propelled by some form of uh, uh, engine that I doubt it worked on oil or gasoline from from a planet in space. Don't you think that if it really was uh, one of these uh, aliens, that this engine would have been taken apart and maybe uh, whatever made it go, would be good enough to actually save the world from uh, from uh, for, for for our energy and uh... yeah. Well, a lot of people a lot of people think that right, and a lot of people believe that the Roswell incident, uh, that the craft that was here was a result of electromagnetic propulsion. And um, a lot of folks have brought up the fact, including a lot of po- folks that we've spoken to on this show, and we're probably overdue for one of those interviews, that the technological revolution that came about in the next 15 years, a lot of folks believe that that was a result of reverse engineering of um, alien technology, essentially. So I think um, maybe some of the future of propulsion may be because of what occurred at Roswell. And uh, there's no guarantee that um, if it was electromagnetic propulsion or something else, that scientists of that era would have been able to understand it necessarily. Or maybe they could. Maybe they're still in the process of working on reverse engineering. I mean, let's say it, it was a civilization, and this is purely hypothetical, but let's say the Roswell incident was the result of a civilization that was three or 400 years in the future. Then I, I mean, you don't necessarily think that you could do that in a week, do you? Ten years, twenty years? I think it takes a while, right? Because you've got to catch up technologically. Look, picture if you went back in time in an airplane from the year twenty twenty two, and you crash landed to a thousand years BC. How long do you think it would take the humans living three thousand years ago? to figure out how to build that aircraft. I'm betting it would take them a while, even if they had all the equipment in front of them and all the tools in front of them. 800-848-9222. Pat is in New Jersey. Hello, Pat. Hi, Frank. How are you? Good. Good. Okay, my question is two-part. Number one, since you missed Thanksgiving dinner last year with your mom, will you be going there this year? And what does she serve besides turkey? And also, her brother, I believe, is your uncle who got engaged so quick to that woman he just met, and the family was all upset about it. Will he be there, and how is that relationship going? All right. Well, Pat, I'm still trying to figure out my work schedule for Thanksgiving. Uh, As I understand it, not only will I be doing this show, uh, but I think I'm actually going to be doing the morning show with John Katsimatidis from 6 to 10. I'm hoping that I can do that show from home, uh, in which case um, my wife and I will be able to uh, maybe be able to get a little bit of sleep and then we can begin the holiday. But uh, if I have to do it from, you know, the radio station, that will that will be a little bit difficult. But uh, we actually are 
were going to my mother-in-law's out on eastern Long Island on um, on Thanksgiving. And so I'm not exactly clear what the menu is. Uh, the, um, so I'm, I, I think it's mostly standard Thanksgiving fare. You know, they're, they're, she doesn't come from an Italian family, so she doesn't have all those uh, extras that, um, you know, that my mom might or my dad uh, might. And uh, so I'm not sure what my uncle is doing. I would guess he'll be with my mom, and I, I would assume that his uh, new fiance will be with him. But I haven't seen him in a couple of weeks, so I, I don't know the latest on that. Uh, so, yeah, our, my plan is to work and then travel out to eastern Long Island, and uh, I'm not necessarily up on the menu. But uh, this weekend... On Sunday, I'm going to my dad's, and because we're not all going to be together on Thanksgiving, we're going to have sort of a Thanksgiving this coming Sunday, which will be fun, which I'm looking forward to. And everybody's got to bring something. I'm in charge of appetizers. I have no idea what I'm making, but I'm going to start working on that today so that I don't have the same situation where soybeans need to soak overnight, and I don't have the time to do that. So I'm going to go to the grocery store today and do that. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to... Um, Al in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Good morning, Frank. To morning. you, uh, Frank. Uh, my question to you is: As you know, a couple of days ago, Senator Scott, a uh, Republican of Florida, an ally of President, former President Trump, challenged uh, Senator McConnell uh, for the minority leadership in the the Senate, U.S. Senate. Uh, do you think that was a good thing, or? Uh, probably wasn't. You know, honestly, uh, do I think from whose perspective was it a good thing? From the I mean, po- do you think it was good? Because sometimes we need change. We get these, uh, you know, politicians who uh, stay in there too long. Yeah. They're too I, old. I think it's. I think it's good for the country. You know, I don't think yes. anybody should be automatically elected. I yes. think every position. Uh, Democrat, Republican, legislative leader, president, everybody should face some opposition so that the people voting, whether they're senators or regular people, have some choice in who they're going to elect. So, so yeah, I mean, even if um, even if it's not great for the Republican Party, I think it's great that uh, voters in the Republican caucus there got to make their voice heard about who they wanted uh, so that you can't blame, you can't say the choice of McConnell was shoved down their throats. They had a choice, and they picked McConnell. So, well, live or die with him. 800-848-9222. Teresa is in New Jersey. Hello, Teresa. Hi, hi Frank. Good hi. morning. How are morning. you? I'm great. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, anyway, <clears throat> who's cooking this year? That's not my question, but just curious. Uh, usually, I, I, we all pitch in. Everybody brings something. Nice. Okay. I have a question, and I turned on the radio and heard everybody asking all different kinds of questions like, what would you do? Mm-hmm. So my question is, have you ever been reprimanded or, um, I guess that's the word, for any content you brought up or anything you said from the management on any of your shows. Mm, that's a good far. question. Um, and if I, you have, um, what was it for? Yeah, let me try and think Thank here. you, Frank. Th- uh, thanks, Teresa. You know, I, I'm sure I've been reprimanded. I've been reprimanded at other stations, right? I'm trying to think in the last two and a half years, have I said anything that I've gotten in trouble for? Um, I've almost gotten in trouble a number of times because because people listeners say they hear something and then they complain and I said no they, it's not what they heard it's not what I said go back and listen to the tape and 90% of the time 
whatever they claim that I said I didn't say or it was dramatically taken out of context. I got in trouble once that I remember. And I, I basically was um, – I was uh, – I'm trying to remember the exact circumstance. And when I say I got in trouble, basically they said, you know, be careful what you say. It had to do with um, – me airing internal station business out on the air. And uh, management didn't appreciate me doing that. It had to do with um, the people working on a holiday, um, w- getting a comp day. That That's what it was. That And people didn't think that I uh, reiterated the company's policy accurately, and I got in trouble for that. Um, and then I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I've gotten in trouble for. That's That's the only thing that I can really remember. Uh, getting called on the carpet for 800-848-9222. By the way, whoever comes up with the most interesting question, most creative question, uh, we're going to give a prize to, as determined by Kenneth, Matt Blaze, and Joe. And uh, we have two open lines, so if you want to jump on board. We're scheduled to uh, talk with Max Moore about cryonics next hour. We're working on tracking down Max Moore's number, but uh, assuming we're able to find it, then we're going to talk to him. Let me say hello to Eddie in Manhattan. Hello, Eddie. Eddie. All right. Let me say hello to uh, Bill in South Jersey. Hello, Bill. Hey, Bill. Uh, Frank, Frank, how are you, Frank? Great. Easy question I've gotten all night. All right. I got a question for you. Um, the pipeline that runs from Russia to China is run by three companies. I mean, from, uh, from Soviet Union to Germany. It's run by three companies. One was run by Halliburton is one person that runs it. There's two other American companies run it and service it. If it fills with any water, if they back off, it will ruin it. All right, so we only got a minute here, Bill. What's your question? Yeah, and if our president was compromised. All right, Bill, I'm going to move on. Okay, so again, I want to go over what a question is. A question is what, who, how, where, does, do, when. Um, That's how your question should begin, Okay. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Dan is in Connecticut. Dan, what's your question? Hey, Frank, how are you? Great, thank you. Okay, okay. What, uh, what science fiction show geared to children that inspired them uh, when they became adults to uh, be involved uh, uh, in science, technology, and even have an interest in flying? What, what science fiction show from the early 60s geared to children did they give a nod to uh, when you're watching Star Trek and you see the engineering department, um, it's a good question. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess it's Captain Video and the Video Rangers. After that, are, are you old enough to remember? I don't think you are. Fireball XL Five. No, I'm not familiar with that at all. Actually, what is that? Well, it it was uh, you know Super Marionation, the the puppets, the British show. It mm-hmm. was on NBC. It was on NBC uh, the Saturday morning lineup between sixty three and sixty five. And about a month ago, uh, I was looking at something on the web, and I see Fireball XL five came up, you know, on YouTube on the side, which I hadn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this now. About. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about since I was a kid. But what was amazing to me, Frank. With the comments, I don't normally read the comments on YouTube, incredible comments, and I'd like if I could get your email address, I'd like to send you some that I made a screensaver. Sure, it, sure. It, it, Dan, it, it, I'm, I'm going to put you on hold, Dan, and, uh, and these guys will give you my email. Don't hang up, and they'll give you my email. 800-848-9222. Tony, excuse me, Toby is in Manhattan. Hello, Toby. Frank, Toby. Yeah, Toby, go ahead. Toby. Oh, Obi. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Excellent. It, How are you? It's, 
That's okay. It's Obi becomes Toby often. So <laughs> I just got back from Florida, as you may recall. Terrific. You're, you're vacation nowadays, now that you've got Carmine. I know you talk about Cape May all the time. But when you get on a plane and go somewhere, well, you so, and your wife, you yeah. and your wife and Carmine, where's it going to be? Well, so um, our most immediate plan is in two weeks. My brother-in-law is getting married in Mexico, so that's going to be Carmine's first trip on an airplane. We're taking him to Mexico. So uh, uh, my wife was just telling me last night how she's very nervous. So we'll see how that goes. Fingers so where crossed. Where would you want to go, though? Where uh, would you want to take Carmine, and where do you want to take your wife you, without you, Carmine? You know, I uh, I really like the West Coast, and thank you, Obi. We'll we'll, we'll catch up off air. I really like the West Coast, and uh, we have a lot of family there and a lot of friends. So I would like, either with Carmine or without him, I'd like to go to L.A. Best question, Matt. Sorry about that. Alyssa in Manhattan. Alyssa in Manhattan, call back. We're going to give you a prize. Uh, her question was about my uh, saddest day, scariest day, and happiest day. We may go to Max Moore. Until then, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Hello there. A lot to get to this hour. Uh, We're trying to get a hold of Max Moore to talk uh, cryonics, so uh, maybe we'll talk to him. Maybe we won't. We haven't been in touch with him. Um, You know, we're a little short-staffed today because uh, Alex is out. He's apparently still sick. It's a very... Very chaotic environment here. When it's not, it's not necessarily because Alex is so essential to the running of the show, which you know he is. He does a great job, but it's yes, just that is because you have Kenneth uh, and Matt and um, Joe all trying to do the jobs of multiple people in addition to their own job, and uh, they're not doing that well so far. But under the circumstances, they're doing okay. It was quite a scene. I will tell you, you know. So an hour before I was on the air. Um, less than an hour, an hour before I was on the air, I um, got an SMS text text message, maybe 90 minutes before I was on the air, from Dominic Carter saying, hey, <clears throat> I know your nightly schedule is tough. Can you come on to the top of my show? I've asked Rita, meaning our colleague Rita Cosby, to come on as well. I'm discuss- I told her I'm discussing Trump. But could you come in studio for two minutes to help me wish her a happy birthday? Figure like 1201. Don't tell her it's for her birthday. So obviously, and if, if people are listening in Baltimore, Nevada, Alaska, or Tennessee, Dominic Carter's a colleague, a very well-known broadcast journalist, and so is Rita Cosby. She's been on MSNBC. She's been on Fox. She's been a best-selling author. She's done a lot of great things in journalism. And she's just a super nice person, and she always remembers and makes a big deal about everybody else's birthday. So obviously my my answer is, of course, yes. But I know that Dominic probably didn't get a cake or anything, right? So now I know this is on me 
to get a to get a cake or something to memorialize her birthday. But here's what's happened: I've gotten a cake for the last two people who's had a, a birthday here, maybe the last three, and we end up, you know, because there's only a handful of us, we end up throwing much of it out. You know, because who's got all these dietary needs? This one doesn't eat gluten. This one doesn't eat dairy. This one doesn't eat sugar. So I said, well, let me see if I can. And now this is super last minute. I said, let me see if I can use Uber Eats or Grubhub to have something delivered to the radio station in honor of Rita's birthday. So she sees that we don't we didn't forget her. And that will not get thrown away. So I ordered rather than a whole cake. I ordered two large slices of cake, one strawberry shortcake and one sort of confetti birthday cake and a couple of cupcakes as well. And obviously, because Kenneth's happiness is paramount to everybody, we got uh, Kenneth a vegan cookie because he's unable to have dairy. So I um, had this all delivered and it was supposed to be here 10 or 15 minutes before I'm scheduled to go on with Dominic and wish Rita a happy birthday. So then it's looking like um, this uh, this cake delivery is going to take place while I'm on the air with Dominic and Rita. And so I hand my phone to, uh, to Matt and Kenneth. I said, hey, if Javier, that was the name of the delivery person, if Javier calls when, when um, I'm on the air, can somebody go out? And get it. And as I'm explaining this to them, they said, wait, wait a minute. You, you have a cake or you, you don't have a cake? I said, yeah, I have a cake. He said, well, because Alex got a cake, but then he canceled it, but they still made him pay for it. And this is when I'm scrambling to get a whole bunch of stuff done, including recording these commentaries, which didn't even end up on the air anyway. So I shouldn't have been scrambling. I should have made the cake my priority because that's clearly where everybody's focus was. So apparently what Alex Barnard did, who's out sick today is he went and ordered some sort of dessert-themed cake, even though he was not here to receive the dirt, the, yes, the dessert. And um, these guys told him, look, Alex, because of your absence, which, again, we don't want anyone coming to work when they're sick, um, because of your absence, we are now running around here like crazy. We don't really have the time or the logistical manpower to go down and facilitate this cake delivery. So apparently the... <laughs> And this could only happen to Alex or me, but mostly Alex, right? Because this is a very Alex thing to do. They canceled the cake delivery and then they still charged him for the, the cupcakes, which I'm not sure how that comes to be. Uh, Matt Blake, yes, do you have any correct. insight into uh, into this at all? Uh, all I know is Alex called me at like 6.30 p.m. p.m. and was like, oh, yeah, we're going to get cupcakes for Rita. And I said, Alex you're not here. I said, um, we have a ton of stuff to do. We can't do this. And he goes, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. I goes, all right, let me see if I can cancel. And he goes, oh, they already picked it up. I go, well, just cancel. I go, see what happens. But if they already picked it up, why wouldn't you have him just leave it downstairs with Omar, the door guy, and then, you know, one of us could I could have got it on my way in so that, that was the other thing that I was confused about because I said to Alex wait you ordered it now and is it going to you because this was at 6 30 p.m. I'm I'm at home still Ken's at home you're right. I think Alex was having it delivered to his house oh my. so I was like then I thought like in my I didn't ask him but I'm like how is he even going to get here 
if Al is he, he going to send it through Uber delivery now? I, I didn't even know what he was going to do to get it here at that time. But I just said, we have so much going on. Tonight is not the night that we have to worry about Rita's birthday and cupcakes. Yeah. I said, we could do it on Monday, every birthday, you know, and, 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 and tomorrow uh, maybe they'll do something for Rita when we're off. So I don't know. But I'm just saying, tonight was not the night. Yeah, in general, I feel like we put a lot of emphasis on birthdays here. Now, again, I'm as to blame for anybody for for today, but you have to do it for Rita because she makes everybody's birthday a big priority, right? Honestly, she makes goes out of her way to make sure everybody's birthday celebrated. So obviously, you can't not um, celebrate her birthday. And so, no, we have to celebrate a birthday. I think what we did no, was we perfect. <laughs> no, I think we do because she does. She for does her, it for every. We do. No, for her birthday. Right, right, right. Yes, right, right, right. For her birthday. Because she does make a big deal out of, out of everybody else's. And, I, and I'm and i grateful for that. Um, but even when you came in with your phone and you're like, if he calls, I totally forgot your phone was even there. Yeah, I noticed. It was, I had it was, no idea. Cause it was not a big problem. I have a whole bunch of things yeah, that people like don't, that are going on right here, back here, right. that I'm dealing with beside that. But I was like, well, and I said to you, well, I hope it wasn't on silent because it didn't ring. So I guess he didn't call. Yeah. Well, we got the we got the cake. Uh, Rita was um, was pleased. Her significant other Tomasek came up. He seemed pleased. They got to enjoy some cake. Kenneth, of course, got his vegan cookie. He's the although that was before I knew he was putting in the wrong local commentary in the one a.m. hour. I would have withheld that cookie because clearly the last thing he needed was an additional distraction. Uh, had Kenny. I known that was uh, going to be the case, Kenny, um, we need to have a serious talk. And how, and how, that's for sure. Uh, but, uh, all right, so I'm going to assume Max Moore is not joining us this hour. So that gives us the hour free. We could uh, we could chat about uh, a wide variety of subjects, 800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up. We've got denunciations an hour from now, and we have uh, Joe Galati, Dr. Joe Galati. A lot of people concerned about obesity going into the holidays, a lot of people going uh, concerned about gaining weight going into the holidays. This is about a lot more than just not looking good. And evidently, the problems that this country is facing with obesity are really serious health problems, and they're alarming. And we're going to get that. We're going to get into this with Dr. Joe Galati. Why the uh, why the stakes are so high, and what we can do about it going forward. So we got a lot to get to as well. All right, 800-848-9222. You know what? Let me um, play for you a little bit of this. um, Actually, no. Okay, we don't have all that. Well, we're working on that. We're working on that. All right. um, Let me tell you what what, what we have coming up a little bit later. In addition to the situation involving Joe Galati, uh, I'm eager to talk about this uh, controversy involving the Dave Chappelle monologue on Saturday Night Live because he, in his monologue on Saturday Night Live, did address the Kanye West cancellation. And Kanye West, the gist of his whole, you know, getting canceled was primarily because of anti-Semitism and... Then Dave Chappelle is being also accused of anti-Semitism. I didn't watch the whole um, the whole monologue, but we have some clips of it that we're going to play for you. John Stewart has commented on it. Jerry Seinfeld has commented on it. We're going to bring you their comments and give you an opportunity to be heard. Uh, meantime, let me say hello to Lamar, who is downtown. Hello, Lamar. 
Lamar, uh, uh, Frank, how, how you doing? I haven't talked to you in a while. And I just want to preface my statement with this declaration. What I'm about to say is being said with love and affection. I really like you, Frank. But, you know, there is a branch of the military known as MI, military intelligence, and it is sarcastically referred to as an oxymoron, military intelligence. But hearing you all talk about the logistical failure in delivering some cupcakes, I just had to call (laughs) and talk about the conspicuous lack of logical, logistical thinking on the part of civilians. (laughs) Well, thank you, Lamar. I appreciate that. Hey, the cupcakes got here, and uh, Rita's probably enjoying some of that strawberry uh, shortcake right now. All right. you remember Lionel? Lionel was a very uh, noted radio and uh, television talk show presenter. And uh, he it w- was somebody that I was pretty friendly with. But there's I'm at a crossroads with Lionel. We'll explore it in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. songs we play on this show we list the bumper music in our facebook group just join the facebook group at morano radio fans and haters and um we are i have decided that whoever's a top contributor as of next week with whatever point system facebook has come up with which i don't understand don't pretend to understand i'm going to send you on my own dime a complimentary uh, frank morano pen so all the more incentive to make your criticisms or praise of this show heard so just go on Facebook and search M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Dave Chappelle is a very talented comedian. I, I I can't say that I've paid that close attention to his career over the years. I've always found – I've never been wowed by his humor. But honestly, it's a handful of stand-ups that I've really been wowed by their humor. But I've always found him amusing enough when I've heard him in interviews over the years on uh, the Howard Stern Show and elsewhere. I always thought he was amusing enough. And then he went a little crazy, right, and then kind of disappeared, and then he came back, and I, and 
I can't help, I think most of us are in the same category, we like comeback stories, right? Which is why I think you can't count Donald Trump out for 2024, because people love the story of a comeback. You know, you talk, we've done whole segments on comebacks, but then last year, he does this whole Netflix special, and I loved that it created such an uproar. And he, he said things that were offensive to black people, to whites, uh, to the trans community, and folks were ready to uh, boycott. Folks did boycott. Some people canceled Netflix. Some Netflix employees were threatening to leave. And I thought it was great. I love that kind of humor, pushing the envelope. And I love, in this day and age, where people are offended by everything, I love that he was willing to tell some jokes that offended some people. And I'm of the belief that if you're a comedian... That's what you do. You tell jokes, and if you tell a joke that's offensive to somebody, so be it. Okay. These are, these are comedians. These are not Talmudic scholars. So then he hosted Saturday Night Live on Saturday. I didn't watch because um, I didn't remember until after 1.30 that he was hosting. I would have watched, but I was out at Jake's 58 with some friends and some family, and we were having a good time, and... Um, I don't think we went back to our hotel room in time to see the show. But it was the highest rated show that Saturday Night Live has had. So I haven't seen the monologue. But this 15-minute opening monologue that he did on Saturday Night Live is being criticized for perpetuating anti-Semitism, including by the national director of the Anti-Defamation League, Jonathan Greenblatt, is the head of the Jewish Civil Rights Organization, and he shared his thoughts on Twitter on Sunday, the day after the monologue, during which Chappelle spoke about Kanye West's anti-Semitic comments. Before I tell you what the Anti-Defamation League said, let me play you a little bit of what Dave Chappelle said. Before I start tonight, I just wanted to read a brief statement that I prepared. I denounce anti-Semitism in all its forms. (laughs) And I stand with my friends in the Jewish community. And that, Kanye, is how you buy yourself some time. (laughs) I got to tell you guys, I've probably been doing this uh, 35 years now. And early in my career, I learned that there are two words in the English language that you should never say together in sequence. And those words are the and juice. <laughs> I've never heard someone do good after they said that. <laughs> I ain't gotten into some scrapes before, and normally when, he, when he's in trouble, I pull up, I pull up immediately. But this time I was like, you know what? Uh, let me see what's going to happen first. I just want to see, see where this all going. <laughs> so uh, that is so far the only part of his monologue that I have heard. I don't know if there were other parts of it that um, people were a- also found anti-Semitic. Did you watch it, Matt Blaze? Give me your review. Well, I can tell you what people are saying, and, and they're not saying the whole story, which is, which is what really annoys me. Um, he says that... You know, people are saying, oh, Kanye, about Hollywood, the Jews are being running Hollywood. And he says, well, I've been to Hollywood, and there are a lot of Jews. And then he goes, like, a lot. 
And then he says, and this is the part that they all leave out. He goes, well, there's a lot of blacks in Ferguson, Missouri, but it's not like we're running the place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and people mm-hmm. seem to leave that out, which he's saying, yeah, there's a lot of Jews in Hollywood, but there's a lot of black people here and there's Jews there. And he's kind of saying there's a lot of people everywhere. It doesn't mean that the Jews are running Hollywood just because, let's say, there's a lot of Jews in gotcha. Hollywood. Now, I watched it, and I didn't find it anti-Semitic at all. Right, you're Jewish, right? And I'm Jewish, yeah. and I thought it was hysterical yeah, because you're... I get it, and I get that it, it's jokes. Right. And I right. and I and I want to you know we love Ellen in the, in the Facebook group, and she said something about I, I cannot abide any criticism of Ellen. Well, I, if there's one person I draw the line at, and I will not. You know how some people are like that with Trump, like you can't say anything bad about Trump, and they start writing. That's how I am with Ellen. I will not tolerate any Ellen criticism. It's not bad about Ellen, but this is what Better she she, she said. She'll be sitting in your chair by the end of the show. <laughs> she compared. Chappelle to like a Don Rickles, and I and I I'm like I don't know if anybody's gone back on YouTube and go watch some of Don Rickles and what he did forty years ago. You couldn't say that at all today. Well, that's yeah, that's fair. All right. So uh, based on your description, I, look, I'm not Jewish, but my son is Jewish. If um you know he's of Jewish lineage, he's not a practicing Jew, but he you know we count him as Jewish for the purposes of me being able to not to offend people. And um, uh, so, uh, based on your description and the audio that we don't hear, uh, that we just heard, I don't think that that's something that people should be getting upset about. However, uh, this is the statement from. But but I want to make clear: this is one of those rare instances where I'm talking about something where I'm not fully informed about it. Okay, so just judge me through that lens, right? Usually, I like to, if I, if I have a guest on and I'm talking about their book, I like to read the book, I like to read the article. You know, this is one instance where. I have not seen the monologue that has caused all this controversy. This is what the head of the ADL put out there. We shouldn't expect Dave Chappelle to serve as society's moral compass, but disturbing to see NBC Saturday Night Live not just normalize, but popularize anti-Semitism. Why are Jewish sensitivities denied or diminished at almost every turn? Why does our trauma trigger applause. That's the statement that he put out on Sunday. Others joined in to express concern and share their analysis of Chappelle's monologue. Influencer Rabbi Josh Uter wrote that the key point of the monologue was that there are double standards regarding who can say what about whom. Nonprofit outlet The Forward uh, has since pointed out more criticism. The Jerusalem Post called it engaging in anti-Semitic tropes, while Adam Feldman of Time Out New York said the opener probably did more to not normalize anti-Semitism than anything Kanye said. Well, I completely disagree with that. Eric Deegans, who's an NPR TV critic, said via tweet, sharing his review of the show, that he was severely disappointed with the monologue. And um, this, this is a quote. What I do know is that one of comedy's boldest and most incisive voices had a chance to lend insight to the long struggle black America has had with anti-Semitism. But instead, his monologue seemed filled with justification and minimalization, failing to mention, for instance, allegations that Yi Kanye, has expressed admiration for Nazi leader Adolf Hitler, he wrote in part. Chappelle opened his routine by unfolding, you know, and then he goes, they go into 
what exactly Chappelle did. I, um, you know, again, I, I, I said that I will say the same thing about this as when a lot of the trans community was offended by Dave Chappelle. You know, I don't think we should take comedians that seriously. I recognize that this might be trafficking in stereotypical anti-Semitic tropes, but he's a comedian. I, I really just don't think we should rush to get offended every time somebody makes a joke that pokes fun at stereotypes, whether they're black stereotypes, Jewish stereotypes, trans stereotypes, whatever the case may be. So um, unless I'm missing something, maybe I am. Uh, 800-848-9222. Give me a call, especially if you're Jewish. I'd be curious to know if you found this offensive. Did you find it funny? It's possible to find it both, both funny and offensive. Here was Jon Stewart uh, talking about the Chappelle monologue. Did you see Dave on SNL? And I'm like, yes, we're very good friends. I always watch and send nice texts. He normalized anti-Semitism with the monologue. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know if you've been on comment sections on most news articles, but uh, it's pretty <laughs> normal. <laughs> like, anti-Semitism, I mean, I, I, as you know, it's, it's incredibly normal. But the one thing I will say is, I don't believe that censorship and, and penalties are the way to end anti-Semitism or to not gain understanding. I don't believe in that. And I think it's the wrong way for us to approach it. Kyrie Irving, they suspended him from playing basketball. If you want to punish this man, send him to the Knicks. <laughs> well, that was funny. Um, I agree with uh, Jon Stewart there. I don't think that... Um that censorship is ever the answer. I think education is the answer. Um, Jerry Seinfeld, who is also Jewish, also, he, he is a comedian that I do find really funny, and he's also real authority on comedy. He's speaking out about the Chappelle monologue. He uh, spoke with the Hollywood Reporter. He said, I did think the comedy was well executed, But I think the subject matter calls for a conversation that I don't think I'd want to have in this venue, meaning in that interview with the um, Hollywood Reporter. And then he reiterated his point when asked if the monologue made him uncomfortable. So um, he said, quote, it provokes a conversation which hopefully is more productive. I mean, that's not really an answer. I mean, that's sort of a, a dodging of the question, but that's okay. The guy's the guy's a comedian. He doesn't have to comment on every controversy that comes his way. Seinfeld also noted that he doesn't consider Chappelle to be a dear friend, saying, I don't have a close relationship with him. We're friends, and it's not a close relationship. Okay, so he's putting a little distance there. So uh, be curious what you think. If you found these remarks offensive, if you found them funny, whatever the case may be, 800-848-9222. It's 800-848-9222. Also... I'd really be interested in hearing from you if you're someone that defended Chappelle when the trans community was against him and and the gay community. And now you think now that he's joking about the Jewish community that he's gone too far. And how do you differentiate those two things? Why was when he was making jokes that were offensive to one group, was that okay? But now this isn't okay. I'd love to hear your take. 800-848-9222. Simon is in Brooklyn. Hello, Simon. Yeah, Frank, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jewish, so I, I can understand where he's coming from. You know, if you listen to Jackie Mason, the old, he passed on 
He was a comedian, and he he was a roaster. He roasted Jews, Italians, blacks, Africa, everyone. So you, you know, you could listen to all his comedy. It was amazing. And um, he roasted he roasted his Jews. He was Jewish, and he you know go. So I don't think um, Chappelle um, did anything wrong. I think he just based on the news. He just he's just he just wrote. It's like a a comedian. You can't take them seriously. Yeah, so, I, um, I you know I obviously we had Jackie Mason's daughter on last week, and yeah. uh, we played some of the remarks that he would say. And you're exactly right. I mean, I didn't take the yeah, things you that know, he he used to say. It was a joke. You know, when a Jew goes on the highway and, and the car breaks down, and the wife starts screaming, it's broken, it's destroyed. Then a guy comes in with uh, short sleeves, with the tattoos. He says, what's going on? He takes the car, he flips it over, he, he t- changes the tire in five minutes, you know? So, you <laughs> know how he, he, has, he, he, he had his way of Jews, Italians, and you could just listen to his jokes. I mean, he, he was a roaster. That's, that's, that's life. Sammy Davis Jr., you, you go back in history, you could hear these comedians making fun of each other, roasting each other. You ever see um, a Rickles? Yes. I mean, well, I think that's he, the point Matt Blaze was remember making. Remember when Rickles, that comedy, when he's in front of Reagan, and he he was making fun of Reagan's, um, what was his name again? The last, the Secretary of State. And uh, um, he was an older guy. Alexander Haig? No, 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 another one. Um, Schultz. George Schultz, yeah. And he, and he lived a long life. He said, you know, Mr. Reagan, you should have got someone a little older. He was, like, considered old. But he said it's like the, the Jews who, you know, they say, hold on to the elevator. You know, he used to imitate them, how they walked. But it was, it was just he, – he was, he was a real roaster. So we, we, I think everyone's so sensitive um, because of what happened with Kanye. But he, you know, and they're just trying to, you know, make, make so, it easy. To so, go. Simon, you are Jewish and you are giving uh, Dave Chappelle your blessing on this one. I, yeah, I think he's not. Uh, he's just saying, so what? Jews, okay, uh, he should not be canceled, right? Yeah. He should not be canceled. I don't think so. Because okay. you're going to make a word. You're giving, you're feeding into something. You're going to make it more than it is. You're blowing it up. And why should we do that? Yeah, well, that's fair. You, that's fair. Yeah. Chappelle's a comic comedian. That's his business. He's not, not, he's a great guy. I know. I, I met him. He's a He's a he's a he's an innocent guy, and just you know, this is what it is. We well, joke about everything. Yeah, again, I, I'm not here to vouch for him being a great guy or a terrible guy, but uh, thank you, Simon. Um, but um, I, I also think I don't I, I don't know that we should be canceling anybody. Honestly, you know, um, the question is if somebody does or says something that's so vile, should they then be canceled uh, because a company is concerned that? Um, their brand might be damaged if they're associated with with that person. Well, look, that's a that's a question. That's a free market decision at that point, right? Um, the reason that um, MSNBC and CBS had let go of IMS, for instance, is because uh, advertisers were abandoning IMS. So uh, CBS and MSNBC were no longer going to make money by having IMS on their air. So it was a financial decision, you know, but where do you draw the line, right? So I think – I don't know that anybody should be canceled. You know, I, I am very anti-cancel culture. I think we should have courts, courts where you go to prison if you commit a crime, where you can be sued if you defame someone, and where you are uh, held accountable in a court of law for whatever you do. I'm not a big believer in the court of public opinion having trials and and excoriating people and doing this and that. Now, again, there are a lot of exceptions to that. Uh, O.J. Simpson, for instance. 
I think that's an exception. Even before he was found guilty in that Nevada case, I believe that he participated in the murder of two people. So even though a court said he was not guilty, I would have no problem treating him as if he committed that murder. 800-848-9222. Curious what you think. Uh, 800-848-9222. Jeff is in Queens. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Frank. Uh, 65 years old. Um, grew up with lots of anti-Semitism, you know, knowing that it exists in the culture. Uh, it's like the thing about the Jews, um, how much of their influence do they have in Hollywood? I remember my dad told me in, like, this early 70s, he, uh, piece of history I never learned in school, which was that if you, Con Ed, if you want to work in Con Ed in the 30s, you had to be Irish to be hired. So groups hire, you know, this is the issue of groups hiring their own. I mean, that's how I understand. That, that, that's that's my take on do Jews run Hollywood, you know? Or, uh, I mean, certain groups have influence over certain things because they hire their own. Right. But, uh, yeah, I guess I'm not trying to have a discussion about whether or not Jews run Hollywood. I, I'm trying to have a discussion about whether or not what Chappelle said was offensive and what the ramifications, if any, should be. Okay, I, 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 Chappelle said one thing that was pure gold. He said, um, "He said to think that uh, Jew, he said the Jews uh, to th- think that to think that uh, Jews have been able to run Hollywood." He said, "That's uh, that's 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 a thought." And he says to say it out loud. Now that's crazy. Right, right. Thank you, Jeff. Um, so I do read that Jewish newspaper, The Forward, that I referenced before. And there was an interesting column by Rob Eshman. And Rob Eshman is, uh, he has, he's Jewish, obviously. No, excuse me. We, uh, Rob Eshman is Jewish. And he wrote a column all about another Jewish comedian called Ari Shafir. And he said, he listed a whole bunch of offensive jokes that play on s- typical Jewish tropes. And he has a 90-minute comedy show called Jew. It was filmed in Brooklyn before a live audience. It's already racked up over 3 million views and over 25,000 comments. And what Rob Eshman is saying is that the Jewish community shouldn't be worked up about Dave Chappelle. They should be worked up over um, this fellow, this comedian, Ari Shafir. Even though Ari is Jewish... The things that he said were so offensive that that's what Jews should get worked up over. Here are two of the offensive jokes from Ari Shafir. And some of us went north to like Poland and Romania and Hungary and places like that. And some of us went east to like Syria and, uh, and Iran, Iraq, places like that. Those are called Sephardic Jews, or as my grandmother called them, uh, animals. Uh... <laughs> we are cheap, but that's only compared to you. You got to understand, I didn't grow up with you. So, you know, maybe I'm cheap compared to you guys, but I'm not cheap compared to Chaim and Shlomo. <laughs> you know? So we were aware of the stereotypes. I told you we watched movies and stuff, but we just had fun with them. We're very funny people, so we just had fun with it. So Rob Eshman writes, I'm not going to read you the whole column, but it's very well written. He writes, if we're upset with Chappelle, why aren't we, obs- why aren't we livid with Shafir? Because he goes right out and says offensive things about the Jews. Shafir does. And then... Eshman writes, I'm going to suggest a crazy answer. We shouldn't be upset with either. We should, if we feel like it, even laugh a little. 
And then he goes and describes how Chappelle's comments coming at a time when high-profile anti-Semitic incidents have set many in the American Jewish community on edge have drawn a firestorm of criticism. Um, He says the ADL is on the front lines of fighting actual anti-Semitism. But this is, judging by the mixed reactions that Chappelle's monologue received, at worst, a debatable example of it. But why no word from Chappelle's critics about Shafir's attack on Jewish sensitivities? Why is Chappelle accused of inciting anti-Semites while Shafir gets a pass? So I have to tell you, I kind of um, agree with this Rob Eshman. I think uh, I think he raises a very good point. And uh, I'm going to link to this article if you want to read it on my uh, Facebook page, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. And if you want to read the uh, article that Rob Eshman wrote, you can go on to uh, Facebook.com slash Moranofan. It's an opinion piece in the forward. Let me say hello to Nick in Port Washington. Hello, Nick. How are you? Thank you very much for taking my call. Um, I agree with a lot of, of, of what you said. I don't think you should be canceled. You know, I mean, it, it was funny. Um, it, it just, you know, when when are we going as a society going to take the stick out of our butts? Really, to be quite honest with you, where we are now offended by everything. You know? I agree. Uh, I agree. Race, I mean, this is it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, let's not even discuss politics. You you say the wrong exactly. thing uh, politically. Forget about it. People are w- willing to cancel you for that. I completely agree with you. I I think the bar. I don't think I don't think people should be canceled. Honestly, I'm going to say, no, say that uh, if you don't think someone's funny or if you don't think their humor is appropriate, don't watch their show. Don't, don't listen to their music. Exactly. But um, I agree 100 percent. Yeah. Nick, thank that's you. All really, that's, that's really all I wanted to say. It's, 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 as a society, we have just become way, way, way too, too, too serious, too self-offended. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Thank uh, you very much. Nick, thank you. I tend to agree with you. Izzy is in Rockland County. Hello, Izzy. Hi, how are you? Good. So I don't think they should be canceled. I, I don't think that's the problem because everything they're speaking is fact. You know, Jews control Hollywood, which is good. It's good for them. It's good for the Jews. You know, they can try to control it, but they can't control the, uh, Hollywood. They wish they would. So I think that that's fine. That's a good thing. They should try to compete with the Jews. But I think the problem is when uh, you know, President Biden declares today that they're not going to look into the investigation with the crown prince and uh, from Saudi Arabia. But then there's this uh, American uh, reporter killed and they open uh, they open an investigation. I think it comes more from the top where they really hate the Jews. But everything the comedians are saying, that's a fact. You can't you can't erase the fact. You know, you can uh, you can try to cancel it and everything. But a fact stays a fact. That's true. We got the most money and we got power because we're successful and we, we, we suffer from the Holocaust, unlike they did 300 years ago. And we still made it and we're still much bigger than them. And they, and they can't even start to compete with us. So that's a, that's a great thing. 
Well, Izzy, you know, I'm glad that so many in the Jewish community have done well. Thank you. I know there's a lot of folks in the Jewish community that are not doing well. They're not exactly running Hollywood. I know uh, Matt Blaze, uh, right before this show, he he greenlit uh, three movie projects uh, just for the studio that he runs as a side business. This is what he does as a side business. But not a lot of Jewish folks aren't as lucky to be running major Hollywood studios. And I, I think the problem, the re- I can see why people find this offensive because it's a stereotype, right? Uh, there's a lot of um, uh, black folks that might get a, uh, might get upset about um, stereotypes regarding fried chicken and watermelons. A lot of Italians might get upset about, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, speaking with broken English and, uh, you know, uh, being portrayed as being part of the mafia, eating pizza all the time, right? I think, um, you know, I think what you're saying, Izzy, is a little bit different than what I'm saying and what Nick was saying. Um, what you're saying is what he said is true. Now, I'm not going to go and research the net worth of the Jews compared to every other ethnic group or religious group. But um, it, I think it's OK to laugh at a joke where that's the gist of the punchline. And I construed and again, I, I didn't watch all 15 minutes. My totality of the Chappelle monologue is the minute that we played and the summary that Matt Blaze gave us. But I construed what Chappelle was saying as more of a critique of kind of the culture of everybody's got to apologize for everything right away more than I took it as a shot at, uh, at, at the Jewish community. But, you know, I can understand why people disagree. Peter is in the Bronx. Hello, Peter. Hey, uh, Frank, uh, should we go after Mel Brooks for making the movie Blazing Saddles? I mean, we can't cancel everybody. It's, it's cringeworthy to watch that movie today, in today's society. But, I mean, I, I'm against... Why do you think it's culture. cringeworthy? Because of the use of the N-word? Yes. I mean, you know, we've, eradic- we've basically tried to have eradicated that word out of our language. And, uh, and so when you're hearing it on TV, I mean, it's just, I find it cringeworthy. But should we go after Mel Brooks for that? I mean, what, are we going to go after everybody? Everybody is in society is trying to find something where they can get offended and say, I'm a victim. That's yeah. Part of our problem. Yeah, Peter, thank you. Look, they still make films with the N-word. There's still a lot of songs that come out with the N-word. Did you see Django Unchained, which came out about, uh, I guess, eight or nine years ago? There's the N-word in that film... 30 times more prevalent than in Blazing Saddles. But I think if you get in the mode of canceling or censoring things like Blazing Saddles, for instance, you completely miss the point. Now, Blazing Saddles is a comedy. It should not be taken too seriously. But if there's one message to be taken from Blazing Saddles, it's kind of the same message with All in the Family, which is that racism is dumb it makes no sense, and it's self-defeating. The hero in Blazing Saddles is black. All the people that are using the N-word in a pejorative manner, they are uh, they are idiots. They're all, they're all small-town people, and Clevin Little's character, Sheriff Bart, gets the better of them in the film. So I, uh, if we can't make a film – first of all, I don't accept your premise that we can't make a film like uh, Blazing Saddles today. I think studios may be a little bit more gun-shy. But you see, with Quentin Tarantino and Django Unchained, it's still possible to make a film where you use the N-word uh, often. But um, if you can't make a film like Blazing Saddles today, then I think that's a shame because Blazing Saddles is a great way to use humor to beat racism. Um, and there are a lot of Jewish, um, you know, there are a lot of Jewish uh, tropes in that film as well. 
you know. Uh, Mike is in Manhattan. Hello, Mike. Mike? Yes. Uh, two thoughts. I think the reason why the idea was sensitive to uh, Chappelle's comments is, unfortunately, there is a lot of hatred of the Jewish community by the black community. I mean, look what happens out in Williamsburg and Crown Heights, where they think it's funny to to cold cock the, these uh, uh, people dressed in the traditional, you know, Jewish uh, uniform of Williamsburg and Crown Heights. So that's one thing that I want to say. So the you're saying if that, if Chappelle was of a different different ethnicity, his humor would not have been viewed so negatively by the ADL. I I think so. But also my other point is I think we need to get at the definition of anti-Semitism. The definition of an anti-Semite is one who hates Jews a little more than is really necessary. All right. Well, thank you for clarifying that, Mike. Appreciate that. Um, Well, there you go. We got the final word from Mike. He's now defined anti-Semitism for you. Those of you that um, were worried about your dictionaries getting um, overworn, don't worry about it. Leave him on the bookshelf. Mike is here. If there's any other words you need him to define, he's uh, he's available. All right, 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls, questions, comments. You could call on other anything we've covered thus far if you'd like. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is Dua Lipa. Don't start now. If uh, you would like to know what music we play on the show, just join our Facebook group, uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. 
that's uh, M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters, or you can just type in Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Apparently, the Facebook imposter, Frank Morano, is still out there. So there you have it. Hey, uh, let me get your help on dealing with, uh, well, I don't know if help is the right word. Let me get your guidance on dealing with a situation. Now, do you remember Lionel? You remember Lionel, a great radio talk show host. This was his theme song that he'd start his show with, and when he was doing these um, commentaries on Channel 11, this is how he would begin with. And Lionel was is a brilliant guy. I follow him on uh, Twitter, on uh, YouTube. I subscribe to his channel. I subscribe to his email. I look forward to his daily emails. His daily emails are so insightful, so funny, and I love that he challenges authority. I love that he's kind of a conspiracy analyst. I, I love everything about what he does. And so um, Lionel and I were very good friends, very good friends. And we would go even – we never really worked together on a regular basis – but um, when I was a radio producer, uh, hosting a show in my own right, he would always be available for whatever I asked him to. When I produced a roast for uh, a colleague of ours, of both of ours, Bruce Anderson, he was the first one to agree to come. We would uh, go out with my his wife and my girlfriend at the time, Mallory, and um, we always had a great time. And he's somebody that I would tr- – I found him to be very wise. He would give me a lot of great advice over the years and would always – uh, whenever I would ask him to do anything, would always call back quickly in response to whatever I asked. Frank Moreno. This is a voicemail he left me. Lionel here. Call me at your leisure. I would love to do a uh, encomium, a uh, panegyric, a, a eulogium, elegy, a, a, a fitting victory to Mr. Grant. Call me at your leisure. So uh, I think that was after Bob passed away. He was an admirer of Bob Grant as well, filled in for Bob, uh, took over for Bob when Bob got fired. And uh, he came on with me, and we did a whole tribute to Bob Grant. And um, he would come on with me all the time. I asked him one time how he chooses who he votes for. Here's what I do. One, I always vote for somebody, and I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I ask myself, is there anybody in this particular race who can help me? Do I know him? If ever I get into trouble or in a jam or I needed to get somebody a job or I could, and I needed their help, and I picked up a phone. Or do I know Frank who knows this guy? If there's no physical connection for me, then I vote for somebody I've never heard of. I vote for a party, the Communist Party, (laughs) the Zoroastrians. Seriously, I will always pick somebody that I've never heard of, or is in a, 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 a party that sounds so strange, the Marijuana Teachers Party. No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Right, the Vegetarian because Reform want, Party. Right, because I want there to be entropy. Entropy is what makes systems move. Entropy is when you shake up the Italian dressing, and you make the oil and the vinegar mix. You want to mix things up. Now, when it comes to big-ticket items, governor, president, I always... Always write my name in. I swear to God. Now, so the strangest thing happened. Maybe about four years ago, maybe less, maybe three and a half years ago, but I want to say it was about four years ago. All of a sudden, Lionel um, stopped returning my calls, stopped responding to my emails, didn't text me back. Um, The radio show that I was producing at the time, 
I um, I said to another fellow that worked on this show, I said, you know, I must have done something to offend Lionel or upset him. I wish he'd tell me what it was, but he didn't. I said, why don't you reach out to Lionel and see if he'll come on. I was producing the Joe Piscopo show at the time and see if he'll come on with Joe. So this other fellow reaches out and asks Lionel if he'll come on with Joe. Lionel writes back to him and says, no, no, thank you. I'm not available. But he at least got a response. So f- literally for four years, I have been scratching my head to find out what it is what, that I did to Lionel. I cannot figure it out at, out at all. I mean, Lionel and I were tight. You want to hear how tight it is? Uh, we were. Uh, Chad Lopez, the president of uh, WABC in New York, when I interviewed him with him for the first time about getting a job here, this is long before John Katzmatidis on the station or anything like that, the first question that Chad asked me, because I, I think he liked Lionel as well, the first question that Chad asked me was, would you work with Lionel? You know what my response was? Absolutely. I love Lionel. It's six years ago. Um, so I can't figure out what the story is, why he has uh, just kind of cut off contact with me. He doesn't badmouth me. Unlike some other people in this business who've decided they don't like me, I never ever hear field reports that Lionel uh, was slamming me and this uh, group of people, that group of people. He just kind of totally cut off contact. So I still subscribe to his emails. And so I get an email yesterday that says he's performing, because he's hysterical, performing at the cutting room in uh, New York in January, January 14th, 2023. So I know where he's going to be. And he's also hysterical. So I forward this email to my uh, my wife. I said, honey, you know, would you want to go and, and see Lionel? Would, would you want to? That's exactly what I said. Would you want to see Lionel at the cutting room in January? And my thinking is I'll walk up to him after the show and I'll say, hey, what's the story here? Why are you uh, not talking to me anymore? Rachel's response was, you mean the guy that ghosted you? No, thanks. So she doesn't want to go. I'm going to work on her over the weekend and see if I can get her to change her tune. Unless you think I'm barking up the wrong tree. Should I not even bother? What do you think? 800-848-9222. Denunciations uh, in mere moments. And Dr. Joe Galati. Your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Well, this time of the week, I call out those that need some calling out. Um, If you, you know, think that uh, there's anybody that I'm missing, you can certainly feel free to call in at 800-848-9222. But in the meantime, here are the lucky or unlucky recipients of this week's The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciation. I must begin with the Kansas Republican Party. I can't believe what these jokers are doing. Maybe if uh, they were a little less concerned with doing idiotic things like this, 
and a little more concerned with winning elections, you wouldn't have a state as red as Kansas electing a Democrat as governor. But um, independent gubernatorial candidate Dennis Pyle, and I have no, I know nothing about Dennis Pyle, don't know anything about him, don't know if he's the best guy in the world or the worst. Apparently, um, the Kansas, he was running. And in order to run, you have to get thousands of signatures. And what the Republican Party in Kansas is doing is they are actually sanctioning people that signed a petition or supported the independent candidate, Dennis Pyle. They are actually removing these Republicans as local precinct officials. Earlier, the party removed all those who signed the petition, but this move goes even further. They're not just removing people that signed his petition. They're removing people that supported him. Now, this fella, Dennis Pyle, is a, is a reputable guy in Kansas. He was a state senator. He was elected to the Kansas Senate in 2004 as a Republican. And then he switched his registration to independent in June. And he's the only independent legislator in Kansas in the last hundred years. He's still in the state Senate. And what the Kansas Republican Party are saying is you signed his petition, you supported him, you're out, Tom. And that is, not only is it bad politics, because if you're trying to win elections, which Kansas Republican Party, I guess, is not interested in doing, you want to grow your tent. You want to enlarge your tent. You want to welcome independents, and yes, even Democrats. You don't want to sanction them, and, um, you know, if you're, it's my way or the highway. I think this is the worst kind of political bigotry. So... Kansas Republican Party, I do denounce you. I must also denounce these schools in Australia that are renaming Grandparents' Day, Grand Friends' Day. This has got to be the stupidest thing that I've heard in quite some time. Um, several schools in New South Wales, Australia, have renamed Grandparents' Day to Grand Friends' Day in order to try to be more inclusive. This is absurd. There's a gr- grandparent movement, and the founder of the grandparent movement, Ian Barnett, told the Today Show that it was a strange way to be more inclusive, and it actually excludes one of the most significant people in a child's life. I completely agree. Um, you know, my, my wife's father passed away long before I knew him, long before I knew her. But the relationship that my son has with um, my parents and my mother-in-law is a very special one. And I could see the joy that he gets from being with them. I can tell you how much it helps us when they're occasionally able to watch him. And I could see the joy that it brings to them. And uh, that's something that I hope lasts for many, many years. And I only really knew two of my grandparents. And the, the relationship that I had with each of them was very special. And I think uh, Grandparents' Day is a wonderful thing to celebrate. And being a grandparent is a great thing to recognize and appreciate. I think the worst thing you could do is sort of demote these grandparents to the title of Grand Friends. It makes no sense whatsoever. So to these schools that are trying to do away with Grandparents' Day and replace it with Grand Friends' Day, I do denounce you. I must also denounce 
Acetaminophen. Yes, a very common pain relief drug. You may know it as Tylenol or, you know, something like that, the brand name equivalent. Well, we're learning that taking a common pain relief drug may be doing more than just relieving your pain. According to this study published in Social Cognitive and Effective Neuroscience, acetaminophen, which is sold under brands like Tylenol and Panadol, may push people to take more risks than they normally would. And unlike what Captain Kirk said, where he said, risk is our business. That's what starships are all about. Uh, That is not what we're interested in. And the study suggested that the use of Tylenol or acetaminophen can cause people to feel less negative emotion when they consider partaking in risky activities, especially or essentially it makes them feel less scared about the risks that the activity might involve. It's a very interesting study. And, you know, this could also be, I guess, a good thing. But I kind of wanted to put it in the denunciation category because I wasn't sure where else I would get to bring this to your attention. So it's it's kind of a slap on the wrist. Take it as it is. But I wanted you to be aware of it. Uh, If a guy says, um, you know, if if you ask a guy at a bar, are you trying to slip me a Mickey? And he says, no, I'm only trying to slip you a Tylenol. Well, now you know what that's all about, ladies or fellas. I must also denounce the Maryland Department of... Health. Um, You know what? This Maryland Department of Health could give the New York State Department of Labor a run for its money in terms of incompetence. Because state lawmakers in Maryland, where we're proud to be on WCBM in Baltimore, love WCBM. I'm really looking forward to making a field trip there, maybe after the first of the year. Uh, State lawmakers were unsparing in their criticism of the Maryland Department of Health on Tuesday, accusing the agency of failing to pursue financial compensation against a vendor that has acknowledged serious shortcomings. One after another, members of the General Assembly's Audit and Evaluation Committee expressed astonishment that the agency decided as a matter of policy not to seek liquidated damages from Optum a health claims processing company whose shortcomings were the subject of a harsh audit last month. One lawmaker called the agency's decision unconscionable and a dangerous precedent. Essentially, the the Minnesota-based firm processes billions of dollars in behavioral health claims each year. The review of Optum's performance, which was conducted by the Office of Legislative Audits, uncovered a lot of problems. Auditors discovered more than $220 million in payments for behavioral health services that lacked proper documentation or haven't been recovered. Lapses that prevented the state from receiving nearly $30 million in federal reimbursement for which they were eligible. In addition, mental health providers who've been stretched thin and subject to burnout since the pandemic begun began have been forced to spend long hours reconciling payment errors. And the Maryland Department of Health was nowhere to be found on any of this. I must also denounce marijuana, and this is very important given what we're going through with uh, recreational cannabis becoming legal in more and more places, including New York and New Jersey. 
This is important for people to hear because I don't know that folks, especially young folks, fully realize what I'm about to say. But smoking marijuana can be more harmful to your lungs than smoking cigarettes, according to a new study. New studies found that smoking pot might be more likely to cause certain health problems than tobacco. That's the word from Dr. Scott Brandman, a thoracic radiologist. A new study published in the Radiological Society of North America. See, for years, everybody's been focused on tobacco smoke on the one hand and getting people to stop smoking. On the other hand, people have been focused on legalizing marijuana. Now, again, I'm not for throwing people in jail if they smoke marijuana, but there are these sort of two competing messages that we've been hit over the head with in society. Tobacco bad, marijuana harmless. Marijuana is not harmless. It is very harmful. So um, if your child, you know, smokes marijuana and tells you it's not a big deal, it is a big deal. It's a big deal for their own health. Marijuana, I do denounce you, at least when you're smoked. And I must also denounce Romina Mizrahi. Romina Mizrahi was the Associate Chair of Research in McGill University's Department of Psychiatry in Montreal, Canada. A very reputable post. And uh, she's somebody whose work was highly touted. Somebody that, whose work was seen as a model for academics and psychiatrists everywhere. Well, it turns out she might have been a total fraud. This psychology professor at this Canadian university falsified brain imaging data. That is according to a government watchdog group, a U.S. government watchdog group. Brain imaging gets headlines. The idea that we can see what's going on in our minds, which bit of our brains light up when we have sex or play video games or use social media or listen to Frank Morano on the radio, that's very evocative. That's very sexy. But the research is often overhyped because the scans are expensive. So the studies are usually small and statistically weak. And frequently they can't be duplicated. And the journal Brain Science ran a special issue this year. The brain imaging replication crisis, looking at studies that we presume were not literally made up as Ms. Mizrahi, formerly of the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto, apparently did. So, Dr. Mizrahi, I do denounce you. I must also denounce stores that are open on Thanksgiving Day. You know, I'm a big believer that people should be off on Thanksgiving. I am a big believer that people should not be working. I mean, look, unless you're essential, like um, a police officer or a firefighter or a radio presenter. But I think it's terrible that these stores are open because, and obviously you can't ban it, and I'm not looking to ban it, but... The people that are then working at those stores are not with their families on Thanksgiving. Additionally, that gives a a place for people to be 
on Thanksgiving instead of with their families. So for both of those reasons, I am denouncing all these stores that are open on Thanksgiving Day. Dollar General, Dollar Tree, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Discount Drug Mart. Now, obviously, the joke will be on me if these stores start listening to me and then I need to buy something on Thanksgiving Day. But I I believe this strongly. I think Thanksgiving, which is a uniquely American holiday, which has a great message behind it and a wonderful history, should be a day where commerce stops, where, again, unless you're essential, you shouldn't have to go to work. And people should be able to enjoy the day with their families. So I'm denouncing all these stores that are open on Thanksgiving Day. And I hope that you don't go shopping on Thanksgiving. Because ultimately, if nobody goes shopping on Thanksgiving, they won't open the stores. I want to denounce (laughs) the World Cup organizers in Qatar, a.k.a. Qatar. You know, these Qataris are really something. A Danish TV crew was threatened by some security staffers with the World Cup in Qatar. These security staffers threatened to smash a camera being used in a report for Denmark's TV2. Now, the Qatari World Cup officials have, to their credit, apologized to the TV station, calling the altercation a mistake. That's a pretty big mistake. Threatening the TV crew, saying you're going to break the camera. During a live news hit for TV2, reporter Rasmus Tanthold was interrupted by officials who attempted to stop the filming by blocking the camera lens and then threatening to smash the camera, despite Tanthold showing his credentials as a member of the media. You invited the whole world to come here. Why can't we film? It's a public place, Tanthold told the security personnel. You could break the camera. You want to break it? You're threatening us by smashing the camera? So this video went viral. I don't know if you've seen it. But uh, Qatari officials confirmed that the security officials had aired. Valid accommodations. And this is what they did. Valid uh, credentials, I should say. And this is what they did. So Qatari World Cup officials, apology and all. I do denounce you. I must also denounce... The Department of Veteran Affairs. Oh, boy. What is going on at the Department of Veteran Affairs? Well, well, well. Let me tell you what's going on at the Department of of Veteran Affairs. The VA gets a land donation. Great, right? Great. Specifically to house homeless veterans. Even better. I can't think of a cause... That is more worthy of support and given money to, and let me be the first to give money to it. In fact, I have given money to it, than housing homeless veterans. What do you think the VA does? Do they, A, build housing for homeless veterans? That's what I would assume. That's what I would have hoped. Do they, B, do anything to benefit veterans? That's what I would have settled for. Or do they, C, Let a private school build a sports ball field there. Those of you that picked C, clearly you know the world a lot better than I do. Yes, that's right. 
the Veterans Affairs Department. This is crazy. They're giving this land to a private school to build a field. So now a group of veterans, and I am all for these guys, and I'm going to invite their lawyers on the show. A group of veterans is now being forced to sue. They filed a lawsuit to force homes to be built for them on land now used for elite sports facilities in Los Angeles. 14 homeless veterans, or as the news media refers to them, unhoused veterans, 14 homeless veterans and the National Veterans Foundation, they filed a complaint in Central California's federal district court against the Department of Veteran Affairs on Tuesday night, demanding their needs be put first. Joshua Pettit, a homeless Iraq war veteran, told CNN, get the F off our land or build us housing. There are more homeless veterans in Los Angeles than any place in the country. Around 3,500 of them on the streets and in shelters, according to the city's Homeless Services Authority. And there are also 388 acres in the leafy, lovely neighborhood of Brentwood on the city's west side that were given to the nation specifically to house veterans. But almost no veterans live there. The land is used for a large VA health center and, among other things, the UCLA Bruins baseball diamond and the sports fields and swimming pool of the elite Brentwood schools. Their neighbors and the Department of Veteran Affairs leases them chunks of this valuable parcel. The lawsuit is demanding that permanent supportive housing should be made available within six months. I am wishing these guys the best of luck. And uh, I'm going to invite them on the show. So, Department of Veteran Affairs, until you get your act together, I do denounce you. I do. And finally, let me denounce one of the less intelligent criminals that I've come across in some time. Daryl Kamen Jr., 19 years old, not a bright guy, not a bright guy. You could see why he turned to a life of crime. But if you're listening to this and you're a life of crime style kind of a guy, and we have a lot of, you know, listeners that have a troubled relationship with the law. Here's a pro tip. If you steal a car, don't hook your iPhone up to that car's Bluetooth. That's my pro tip. Had Daryl Kamen Jr. heard that pro tip, he might have gotten away with it. But sure enough, because this buffoon had an iPhone connection hooked up to the Bluetooth car, that helped the police identify one of the two people involved in a carjacking at a parking ride in Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania. The victim told police two people followed her off a bus to her car demanded her cell phone and the keys. Police found the car a couple hours later and said the people who were inside hopped out and ran. As the investigation unfolded, police said a Westinghouse High School security guard identified one of the suspects, yes, Mr. Kamen, from bus surveillance video. Kamen is a former student at the school. Police said another clue came from within the stolen car, which showed a device named, very clever name for a Bluetooth device on a stolen car, Again, what do you think Daryl Kamen Jr. named his device? Very cleverly, Daryl's iPhone was connected to the vehicle. Um, 
the second suspect has not been identified because he had the good sense not to hook up his iPhone to the car. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's denunciations. Do you want to know about obesity? Are you concerned about obesity? Then listen to my upcoming discussion with Dr. Joe Galati, because even if your waistline is expanding, so will your level of knowledge on this subject to be continued. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is If You're Ready, Come Go With Me by the Staple Singers. Uh, They were a a terrific group, a terrific group. And I really wanted to play this for some reason. But for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. But for some reason, this group had uh, something that I wanted to recognize. And uh, I'm sure it will come to me. But what it is and what its significance to today is... You got me. All right. Um, if you want to comment on anything we're talking about, 800-848-9222. I tell you, one of the guests that we had on not long ago who we got an incredible amount of interest in and people asking questions of and urging me to have him back is uh, Dr. Joe Galati. He is a liver specialist, a wellness expert, a speaker, and an author who has written extensively on America's obesity epidemic. And um, very ironic that somebody who's so concerned about obesity would do this. But a couple of days ago, something arrived at our house from Dr. Galati, and it was a pie. And uh, I'm really looking forward to (laughs) trying this pie. So, Dr. Galati, let me thank you and reprimand you at the same time publicly. Well, you know, Frank, thank you uh, very much for having me on. And that is always a big problem. When I send somebody food, they immediately say, oh, my goodness, Joe Galati is sending out a a pecan pie or a Junior's cheesecake to somebody. How dare you do that? But like you've said a million times, it's all about moderation. Right. Well, so um, it it was an interesting and I'm looking forward to trying this and I may bring this uh, Sunday. We're doing sort of a. A Thanksgiving with some family that we were not going to see uh, on Thursday. It was a a brozos a, bur, a, a brozos pecan pie. Is that what it is? Well, it's it's around here in Houston, the Brazos River. Brazos. That, and, you know, coming coming from New York, I had to learn how to say 
pecan instead of pecan, and Brazos. Everything is Brazos. So they talk about the Brazos River. Uh, but it is probably one of the best pecan pies you can get anywhere. Good company, barbecue in Houston, Texas. Outstanding. Really? Well, I'm looking forward to trying it, and uh, very gracious of you. But um, you certainly know the best way to get booked back on the show. Hey, um, let me ask you this, Dr. Galati. A new study out this week shows that adults with fatty liver disease have a shortened life expectancy by three years. Now, I know we touched upon this in our last conversation. Remind us, what exactly is fatty liver disease? Well, fatty liver is exactly as you would think. It is when your liver becomes filled with excess fat. Now, the, th- the thing here is that this fat is toxic. These are toxic lipids. They include triglycerides, something called free fatty acids, uh, cholesterol, and it is most likely related to obesity, especially that truncal obesity, and insulin resistance, which means your body is making insulin, but it, it's unable to get to the cells to take the glucose in your blood into the cells to use it. And as a result of the accumulation of fat, and literally when you look at the fat either grossly with your eyes, let's say during an operation or on a biopsy, it is filled with sheets of, of these fat globules And this sets up this toxic environment that leads to inflammation and literally destruction of your liver. You form scar tissue and you can get cirrhosis of your liver. Now, it doesn't occur in everybody. You could have a fatty liver, but no inflammation and and destruction. But there is a subset, which may be as high as 20%, 15% of people with fatty liver that will develop this inflammation, and potentially cirrhosis. Now, when you look at the raw numbers, somewhere between 80 to 100 million people in the United States have fatty liver. And these are enormous numbers, Frank. And it is, as a hepatologist, as a liver specialist, very alarming to see these people coming in. Yeah, so uh, we're talking with Dr. Joe Galati. Uh, we're going to tell you how you can um, get his book and listen to his podcast. But just so I understand... Um, uh, the w- the liver is something a negative health effects of the liver is something that we've so often associated with drinking yes. uh, essentially even if you don't drink at all you could be dealing with a lot of liver problems just through excess fat oh exactly and and people do you you hit it on the head a lot of uh, the public feels that they are in a sense immune to any sort of liver damage if they don't drink or if they drink in a very modest way. They think that, you know, they're okay because it's only alcohol. But this is a big problem that we spend a large part of our day trying to get the word out that the rank-and-file adult or teenager, which we talked about last time with the children, they are putting themselves at risk for chronic liver disease, the potential to get much more serious liver disease by becoming obese, eating the wrong foods, and not realizing it. And it's that connection of having a behavior, a risk factor, and not realizing that it is harming them. And that there's an out, Frank, that that with weight loss and improved 
nutrition, we can get reversible of fatty liver. Can you be, can you appear to be thin and still suffer from uh, fatty liver disease? And can you appear to be heavy and not suffer from fatty liver disease? Or does anybody who looks like they're overweight, do they generally have fatty liver disease? And is, uh, yeah, let me throw that at you. Okay, so there is this thin fatty liver. About 17% of people that have fatty liver, either on ultrasound, biopsy, or CAT scan, will be thin. They'll be within a normal range. So that then gets into, number one, some sort of genetic predisposition. Number two, you may still have some degree of insulin resistance, sort of that almost a pre-diabetic state. On the flip side, if you are obese, is it a done deal that you're going to have fatty liver? Well, let me just take a step back. If you're obese, you are likely to be on your way to insulin resistance. You probably have high cholesterol. You probably have high blood pressure. This is the uh, sort of the profile of somebody with fatty liver. If you were to take those, those individuals that are just obese, probably about 60 to 70% will have fatty liver. Wow. So again, very big numbers. Absolutely. There's a new report that shows highly processed foods are as addictive as tobacco. What are uh, some highly processed foods uh, that folks should enjoy? And what what does your research tell you about the addictivity of these foods? Well, it's, it's going to be the processed food, and they are processed in that it, it starts really in, in the lab. They test out these foods to see how much you have to chew. Foods that you have to chew and chomp on are not good. Public doesn't like these. They want food that almost dissolves in the mouth, that are hyper-flavored. Literally, when you bite into it, your brain lights up. You were talking a little earlier about sort of behavior with acetaminophen and things like that. But your your brain gets hooked on these. You start to like them. And eating an asparagus is not as much fun as a salty potato chip. And so we are surrounded. And that is the problem, Frank. We are surrounded by all of these processed foods. We're not cooking at home, we're opting out for these processed foods in in one form or another, and it's triggering the brain to become addicted, very similar to uh, tobacco. And there are those in nutrition and neuroscience that are actually thinking that there needs to be a warning on your favorite bag of chips or candy or crackers uh, because of the highly addictive nature, which then, as you could see, turns itself into an obesogenic diet, and you get heart disease and diabetes and all these chronic diseases that we face. Uh, what are So you mentioned potato chips. What are some of these other processed foods that are addictive and that people should avoid? Well, we're talking, I, I mean, Frank, really, almost anything. If it comes in a canned box or bag, I would say it is processed. The, you know, the chips the candy, the fast foods, the, uh, all of the drive-throughs, the processed foods, it is all highly processed, loaded with salt, artificial mm. flavors, 
And the, the key thing that they talk about in sort of that food science is that they are hyper-flavored. And that is the problem. The flavoring just sets our taste buds on fire. What are food? You mentioned asparagus, but what are some of other foods that would detoxify our our liver? What are some foods that can kind of let our liver and our bodies in general go the other way? You, you know, we want to focus on really a plant based diet: fresh fruits fresh vegetables, green leafy vegetables, uh, and all of the fruit, especially citrus. And so in, to, to give you a blanket answer, fresh fruits and vegetables avoid the processed foods because all of these foods are going to have proper nutrients. They're going to have fiber because, again, the processed foods are going to have all of the, the fiber and the phytonutrients wiped out. The other, the other interesting thing here, and there's more and more research, and, and most of your listeners have probably come across some sort of discussion on this, is the, the, uh, the bacteria in your gut, the, the microbiome, it's called. That is very much a driver for fatty liver. Now, we have trillions of bacteria in our small intestine, they're there for a reason. Now, when we eat more processed food, low in fiber, and even food that has artificial sweeteners in it, the good bacteria go down, the, let's just say, bad bacteria increase, that triggers inflammation, not only in the liver, but throughout the entire body. And so when you are eating foods that are stripped of the nutrients, stripped of the fiber, you are setting up a potential to alter the intestinal microbiome. And so getting back on the high fiber fruits and vegetables in their natural state is benefiting your microbiome, which then in turn lowers the inflammation in your body and, and, and sort of is that start to reducing chronic disease. You have written a book uh, called Eating Yourself Sick. People can yes. check it out at your website, drjogalati.com. That's D-R-J-O-E-G-A-L-A-T-I.com. What do you cover in this book? What's this book about? Well, you know, it ranges from uh, the the reader and all of our patients and people on the radio to be better consumers of healthcare. We want you to really understand what your risk factors are, certainly for liver disease, but also how do you look at yourself with regard to your risk factors for diabetes, heart disease, cancer. We, we stress through the whole book the three Fs, which is very simple, family, faith, and food. You talked earlier uh, during your rampage about Thanksgiving and people working and they should be staying home. We have really gone away from eating at home. Because when you're not eating at home, there's, there's really a very high chance that you're going to eat more of this processed food, which just creates this, this uh, uh, snowball effect. So we talk about that. We talk about strategies to stay well. We talk about understanding how the liver functions, understanding how to interpret your blood test, how to uh, understand if you get an ultrasound or a CAT scan, how do you understand what that means. And to, for you to be a better consumer, to wake up and realize that you really have a lot of control over your health. And the, the, the worst thing 
in a day, Frank, is when I see somebody come in that has been lingering with pain, abnormal blood work, especially their liver chemistries. They've known about having a fatty liver for, there was somebody uh, probably about two weeks ago, 20 years they knew they had fatty liver and I had to break the news to them that they had cirrhosis and they were uh, uh, quite upset, not realizing that they should have done a better job of being a steward of their body, but they were also a bit upset with their physician who year after year was just saying, yep, Frank, your liver numbers are up and you got a fatty liver, do your best to try to lose weight. They never did. They didn't quite understand the seriousness of it. And it's human nature. If you're not really uh, nailed down to say, this is a big problem, uh, we're going to ignore it and just sort of move on. So uh, and we're talking with Dr. Joe Galati. His website is drjogalati.com, G-A-L-A-T-I.com. I have spoken with a lot of people over the years that have uh, dealt with alcohol problems. And one of the things that I've heard from more than one person is that what they found this time of year, the holidays, a particularly challenging time of year because there were so many more opportunities to drink alcohol. There's Christmas mm-hmm. parties three, four, five times a year. Got a big Christmas Eve party. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to drink. Same thing on Christmas Day. Then uh, New Year's Eve Eve. There's New Year's Eve. There's New Year's Day. It's basically a month long, a month and a half if you include Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, yeah, drinking drink bins, right. Yeah. Uh, I, the same thing can be said of food. What strategies can you give people listening to us now who find that they always put on between 15 and 20 pounds between Halloween and New Year's as right. to how they can minimize the damage that they're doing to their body through food? Well, you have to really come up with a plan. If you just go from party to party ad lib and say, okay, we have a, a work party at you know 12 to 3 and I'm going to eat, then I'm going to go home and there's an evening party. You have to really plan to say that there are strategies. Okay, so I would say bulk up if there's a, you know at a party where there is maybe some loose fruit, some vegetables, a little vegetable dip, go in that direction and avoid the highly processed food, the sweets, the cookies, which again are all part of Christmas and Thanksgiving and the holidays, but it has to be in moderation. So have one pastry instead of a plateful. Um, Drink water, non-alcoholic beverages, sort of uh, fill your stomach up so that you're not so inclined to say, man, I am starving, let me get another uh, chicken slider and go from there. So it is more important than, than like what you eat or what you don't eat. You have to go in, bef- literally before you walk in, you have to say to yourself, at this party, I am not having any sweets. I am going to limit it to a couple of hors d'oeuvres and whatever the main meal is. But there has to be that consciousness because in the back of their head, they have to have the knowledge that all the salt, all the sugar, all the fat is just leading to problems and the 10, 20 pounds that you're going to gain. The other thing about alcohol, and you're right, we see coming in from this time of the year through New Year's, a large number of people with acute alcoholic hepatitis, which is a severe, very much life-threatening 
alcohol toxicity in, in a sense. And it is exactly as you said. They just go on this binge of drinking party after party. What we say and what the guidelines are, women should consume no more than one alcoholic beverage per 24 hours and men too. Now that sounds like, you know, what party are you going to that somebody <laughs> may just have one one drink? But that really is the thing to do. The other thing, getting back to acetaminophen, which you were talking about, acetaminophen makes the uh, consumption of alcohol all the more toxic to your liver. And so what happens is, again, sort of crazy logic. People say, look, I don't want a hangover. Let me pre-medicate myself with some Tylenol. And so they bulk up on Tylenol, take their alcohol, then they go into liver failure. Mm-hmm. And, and it, year after year, we see it. And again, that's a, uh, a, a message we have to get out to everybody. All right. Hey, Dr. Joe Galati, it is always a treat to talk with you. Thanks so much for the time. I want to encourage everybody to check out your website, drjogalati.com, and uh, they can get your book there. And uh, I appreciate all the you being so generous with your time, even at an odd hour. Uh, the Absolutely. book is Eating Yourself Sick, and uh, I don't see anything in there about pecan pie, so hopefully we're okay. No. But we're going to make a new chapter, and we'll add it in. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Thank, man, happy Thanksgiving. You Frank. too. You too. Uh, we'll see you next time you're in New York. Okay. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I've never seen a diamond in the flesh I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movies And I'm not proud of my address In the torn up town, no postcode envy But every song's like gold teeth, grey goose Dripping in the bathroom, bloodstains, ball gowns Trash in the hotel room talking about royals. I've heard, I don't know if this is true, and I am not interested enough to do the research to find out if this is true, but I've heard that this song was um, based on a photograph of the Kansas City Royals celebrating after they won the World Series in, uh, I guess it was 1985. Right? Yeah, 1985, seven games over the Carls. There's this famous photograph of George Brett and all these other guys celebrating. And um, I was told that uh, Lords saw that photo, or Lord saw that photo and she based it, this song on it. It's a great song, whatever the case may be. All right. Um, 
couple of quick notes in terms of entertainment. One, I am currently in – see, one of the things that we've done, my wife and I, we're both trying to bike more. I told you I'm trying to add a mile a day on this bike until I get to 40 miles, and then I'm going to do 40 miles for 40 days. So yesterday I did seven miles, for instance. I think she did about – I think she did six and a half. But what we've been doing is – so usually we'll watch one television program. Um, maybe if we're lucky after Carmen goes to bed, we'll have a half hour to we'll watch Jeopardy and something else. Jeopardy has been phenomenal, by the way, with Tournament of Champions Week. My goodness. But um, we finished all the, sh- the show that we were watching, which was Ted Lasso, which we enjoyed immensely. And now uh, I am still and uh, this has gone on for two and a half years. I am still in the midst of forcing my wife to f- complete the series Cheers. So um, what we've done now is we have the stationary bike in our bedroom. So while she's biking or I'm biking, we'll be, you know, in our bedroom together and we'll watch an episode of Cheers. And I have not told her because she's I, I keep trying to get her because it's it's tough for her because, look, there are 11 series, 11 seasons of Cheers and they're like, 30 episodes each. There's a lot of cheers to be watching. And so um, I've made clear that she cannot go on to Frasier until she completes cheers, which I think is reasonable. So yesterday we finished season nine and we're going into season 10. And I try to keep her focused on the on the prize here, which is, hey, look, we're in the penultimate season. You're almost at the... The light at the end of the tunnel there. Come on. We're almost there. I have not told her that most people view season 10, which is the season we're in now, as the worst season of Cheers. So she's going to have a tough 28 episodes ahead of her. But hopefully all that biking she does will take her mind off of things. But um, I did catch a short film on Netflix last week that I meant to tell you about, which I enjoyed. Is it uh, brilliant? Is it great? No, but it's funny and it's clever. And Not Enough Comedy is clever. It, it's a short film. It's sort of a mockumentary, a surreal comedy mockumentary on Netflix. It's called Frankenstein's Monsters, Monster Frankenstein. You follow? Frankenstein's Monsters, Monster Frankenstein. That's the name of it. It's a half hour. It's very clever. It's about a guy who's making a documentary about his father who had put on a play that dealt with Frankenstein's monster and Frankenstein's monster wasn't really Frankenstein's monster. It was really, it's, it's cute. It's cute. Uh, is it laugh out loud funny? No. But if you only have a half hour and you don't want to commit to a whole new television program and you want something to do, then um, I can think of worse ways, right? Frankenstein's monsters, monster Frankenstein. I, I am very much in a Frankenstein mode ever since we did that interview uh, on Boris Karloff the other day. So uh, it's been interesting. All right. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything that we are covering. Let me say hello to Gina in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Hi, Frank. Hi. Frank, that fella, Lionel, who didn't call you back that you were friendly with for a long time? Yep. It provoked a lot of thoughts about relationships, friendships, and dynamics. You know, the first thing I want to say is, 
I think you're his true friend because you care and you would confront him in, in a pleasant manner. Right. You know, by going to see his child. Yeah, I think you're the true friend in this situation. Um, I think he really was never your friend. Well, you know what, um, Gina, you might be right. Obviously, I can't speak for someone else. Uh, I, I don't think so, right? Because, um, uh, you know, he was so giving of his time and uh, of his um, of his expertise. He'd be willing to answer any question that I had. Be available whenever I needed him for anything. So I, I don't, um, I, I don't, I don't know that that's true. I think really what happened here, and thanks, Gina, for the call. I think really what happened here is I did something. To upset him, right? And I just wish that he'd tell me what it was so that I could apologize if it was something that I, you know, I'm a kind of a dopey guy. I do stupid things all the time. But uh, Lionel's a bright guy. I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the course of the last two years I've wanted to have him on the radio to talk about any number of things, including the uh, Kennedy assassination. I was talking about the Kennedy assassination earlier. We're, We're next week, obviously, is a big week. For those of us that follow the Kennedy assassination, and we'll be looking at all the different angles. But he was on with Joe Piscopo on a show that I produced, and he was giving his thoughts on what happened with the Kennedy assassination. Listen, it was a conspiracy of conspiracies. And who were the people who basically, if you look up this name, probably one of the shooters, I think, was actually Badge Man. Look up Lucien Sati, Mm. who was killed in Mexico City in Mm. 72. Who was that? Marcello, the Marseille guys, oh. the uh, the guys with frangible bullets who came in, you know, through Canada yeah. and then all I mean, yeah. I can't, about Mexico yeah. and then on their way to Texas and then we're in a safe house. It was so you 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 could not have had a clearly a totally mob hit. Santo Traficante and all these other guys. Look at Robert Blakey. Robert Blakey, who was the architect of the racketeering statute, he said absolutely it was a mob, but the mob couldn't get to uh, weren't able to reroute the actual parade route, to redirect it, couldn't call in snipers. The amount of, how do I say this, the amount of inconsistencies, we will never know. Uh, very true, and that's the kind of insight that I'd love to feature on this program more regularly. Hey, uh, coming up next hour, we'll continue with your calls. Until then, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I have to tell you uh, one bit of sad news, at least to me. 
Um, I was uh, very, very sorry to learn yesterday evening, last night, that a, a guy that I have known for about 15 years passed away. Uh, but he is not just anybody, but he was uh, a veteran criminal defense attorney. He also did some great civil work as well. But he rep- he was involved in a lot of cases in the news that you might be familiar with. His name uh, is John Maringolo. And I've known John since I think about 2007, maybe earlier than that. And I've covered a lot of uh, high-profile criminal defense trials over the years, including a lot of mob cases. And John, I think I met when I was covering the four trials of John Gotti Jr. And um, he had been the attorney for Greg De Palma, who was a a, a high-ranking member of the Colombo family, And I think most people probably know John Maringolo from being a mob lawyer, but his career was really so much more than that. You remember the Deutsche Bank building, the fire, and, um, you know, firefighter Graffanino, Joseph Graffanino, who died in the infamous Deutsche Bank fire? That was a friend of his. That was one of his best friends growing up. They were around the same age. And he worked with the family— and represented the family in a lawsuit, got the family a $10 million settlement from the city in that Deutsche Bank fire case where the city was clearly at fault. A great intellect. And you know what the thing was with John Maringolo? And I tried, I I interviewed John several times over the years, and I produced a number of interviews with him over the years. And I tried to find some of the audio to illustrate this, but we're a little shorthanded today, and I didn't have a chance to look either. I was spending most of my evening running around trying to facilitate cupcake deliveries. But um, John, if you talk to him, would strike you as just a regular down-to-earth guy from Brooklyn, a guy that you might meet at a bar in uh, Bensonhurst or see at a restaurant in Marine Park or something. Had kind of his typical outer borough, white ethnic way of speaking, um, would drop his R's when need be. But he was a real intellect and a great attorney. And there's a lot of different types of attorneys. He was a law professor at Pace University, also a very proud Italian-American. He was the faculty advisor for the Italian-American Association there. Also taught schools, uh, taught students and mentored students from Brooklyn Law School and New York Law School. I went to a uh, – this was after he was had just finished a very high-profile case, and he was very much in the news. And he went to a colloquium at New York Law School and did a whole presentation for the students. And the professors at New York Law, they were not used to having a lawyer of John Maringolo's acclaim at their school. And um, – You could just tell that John got a kick out of mentoring young people. An incredibly young guy. Uh, I I haven't seen John maybe in two years. Uh, I just checked my email to see when the last time we emailed was. It was back in June, so about five months ago, after he had a case that was in the news. And he was only 48 years old when he died. And it was just really, really just heartbreaking to me. And so he represented Greg De Palma represented John Gotti Jr. and was actually an unindicted co-conspirator, which is just a phrase that is almost totally meaningless. You want to know how meaningless the phrase unindicted co-conspirator is? 
take away two letters, right? Take away U and N in undicted, unindicted co-conspirator and see the difference that that makes. I don't even think that should be a distinction. But anyway, he was named as an unindicted go, uh, co-conspirator in securities fraud case in, again, with John Gotti Jr. And John Gotti Jr. was acquitted in that case in part because Maringolo did all the a lot of the work in terms of security fraud in that trial in 2005. So I got to know him well in 2007 when he was representing um, John Gotti Jr. in the fourth trial. No, 2009, I think it was. There's just so many trials. Can you believe there's four trials? The government keeps just putting people on trial until they get a, a result, uh, whatever. So John did a great job for John, for John Maringolo did a great job for John Gotti Jr. in that trial. And I got to see him firsthand cross-examine. And there's a lot of different types of lawyers. I started to say this before. There's lawyers that are very good in terms of being a trial attorney, uh, painting a picture for the jury that they can file, follow, cross-examining witnesses on their feet, making motions to the judge that the judge will be receptive to. Then there are other lawyers that are very good second chairs that can give the support necessary to the lawyer that's, um, you know, that's doing the heavy lifting in terms of being the show, as it were. And then there are lawyers that do great paperwork. John Maringolo was three for three. John was a phenomenal first chair, a phenomenal second chair, and a guy that did paperwork as well as anyone. And even though he became well-known for mob trials, one of his greatest victories, because he was getting acquittal after acquittal after acquittal, one of his greatest victories came three years ago, NYPD Deputy Inspector Jimmy Grant. Jimmy Grant was on trial, a decorated member of the NYPD, one of the highest-ranking members of the department. He was on trial. It was alleged he was accused of taking bribes from corrupt Brooklyn businessman Jeremy Reichberg. He got an acquittal. He was acquitted in that case because of John Maringolo. And I hated the fact that um, Jimmy Grant was even put on trial to begin with. But Maringolo, sure enough, gave him an incredible defense. His obituary in the Daily News, the headline read, Veteran New York City defense lawyer John Maringolo, who bested the Fed's high-profile cases dead at 48. And I think, obviously, he wouldn't be pleased with the headline that he was dead at 48, but he would be very pleased with that description, bested the feds in high-profile cases, because that's what he did again and again and again. And I'm not going to go through all his cases. I will mention a couple. There's a few stories that stand out. Um, One, the thing that always stuck with me with John was his loyalty to people is whether it was Graffinino, whether it was Jimmy Grant, whether it was anybody else, he would go above and beyond for his friends and for his clients. And frequently his clients became his friends and his friends became his clients. A wonderful guy, a wonderful, wonderful guy. I can't say enough about him. And I'm reminded of two stories about John Maringolo, and I promise not to, you know, belabor this. But um, one was during the Gotti trial. Right, the fourth trial of John Gotti Jr. Uh, John Maringolo, along with Charlie Carnese, was one of his lawyers in that case. And I don't know if you've ever spent any time watching a criminal case, but if you cover, if you have any involvement in a criminal case, jury deliberation is torture. 
the it's torture for the prosecutors, the defense attorneys, the defendant, the defendant's family, the reporters, the people watching. Because during jury deliberation, do you know what you do? You sit around. You sit around and you stare at the wall. You, if it's federal court, you can't even bring your phone into the building. Can't make phone calls. You sit there. You drink coffee. You eat and you wait. You wait for a note from the jury, hope, hoping for a readback or any sort of information. So um, we're going in this lengthy jury deliberation in the fourth trial of John Gotti Jr. And everybody's on edge. Everybody's ready to just go crazy because we haven't heard a peep from this jury. Not even a note, not even a readback request. So the fifth or sixth day of jury deliberation goes on. And I said, that's it. We are having a party tomorrow. We are having a party tomorrow. I am bringing wine here tomorrow into the cafeteria. I am bringing wine, and whoever wants to join me in a party, you're free to do so. And everyone says, well, you have to go through metal detectors to get in here. How are you going to bring wine in here? How are you going to get a corkscrew past the metal detectors? And I said, ooh, I hadn't thought about that. Hmm. So Angel Gotti, who I interviewed recently on an episode of The Racket Report, you can listen to that uh, episode, just search The Racket Report wherever podcasts are available. Uh, Angel Gotti says, oh, I know what you can do. Go to Dunkin' Donuts and get a box of Joe. Dump out the coffee and fill it with wine. I said, that is a crazy idea, but it just might be crazy enough to work. So the next day, I, um, I went to the radio station first, and I opened these bottles of wine. And then I, with the corkscrew, because I couldn't bring the corkscrew to federal court, left the corkscrew at the radio station, and I put in a temporary corkscrew in these bottles of wine. And I put it in my duffel bag. It's got my notes in there and everything. Put it in my duffel bag. Got the bottle bottle of wine. Nice bottles of wine. Pretty expensive. Decent bottles of red wine. And I was going to stop at Murray's Cheese Shop. Get some cheese to go with the wine. All sorts of different cheeses. And now that was going to be a party. So I'm on the subway. Going down to the cheese shop. And all of a sudden, I smell something I shouldn't. And I smell wine on the train. I look down. There's wine leaking out of my duffel bag. This temporary cork stop, the stopper that I had in my wine bottle was useless. There was wine if it's dripping all over the subway and dripping all over the notes that I've just been taking for the last six to eight weeks. So then I, <laughs> I have to hold this bottle of wine, which is now half empty or half uh, full, depending on your level of optimism, I have to hold this as I'm walking around Lower Manhattan. I walk into the cheese shop. I uh, buy all this cheese. And after I buy the cheese, I said, and do you have anything resembling a container that I can use to, to put this wine in? No, they didn't have anything. Okay. So now I go to the, um, I go to the courthouse. I find a liquor store because obviously I have to get more wine now because the wine that I have is spilling out everywhere. So I buy another bottle of wine, but now I need a corkscrew. Hey, uh, can I buy that corkscrew? Um, Yes. Okay, here. They give me the corkscrew. This is right in Chinatown. The guy barely speaks any English. He speaks mostly Chinese, it would appear. 
And I said, all right, I'm going to open this here. Oh, no, 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 you can't open this here. You, you can't open it in here. Well, why not? It'll take me 30 seconds. No, no, you got to go outside. You, gotta, you can't open it here. So then I go outside and I duck in front of the liquor store window so he can't see that I'm doing it exactly in front of where he, he, you know, he, he is. And, of course, it starts raining. So I'm opening this wine in the rain. Open the wine, throw away the corkscrew. Luckily, there's a Dunkin' Donuts around the corner. And I get two giant boxes of Joe, but I tell them, hey, how much is a box of Joe? They say whatever it was, $5. Can I buy just an empty box of Joe? In fact, can I buy two empty boxes of Joe with no coffee in it? And they see me holding two open bottles of wine now. And this guy says to me, the Dunkin' Donuts fellow says, Okay, man, I know what you're up to. And the whole staff at Dunkin' Donuts gathers in the back room and has a meeting. And they have a meeting to determine whether or not they're going to sell me these empty boxes of Joe. They do so. They sell me two empty boxes of Joe. I fill both with wine. Now I'm in business. And we go to the cafeteria, and everybody's there. And I pour out wine for everybody. We cut cheese for everybody. We're having a gay old time. We're, this goes on for about 45 minutes. Uh, John Maringolo's holding court, telling great stories, all sorts of trial uh, stories that he's telling. And then, of course, within 45 minutes, and this is a trial, this is a deliberation in which nothing was happening. Of course, it comes that the jury has sent a note. And we all have to shuffle up to the courtroom and see what the jury has said. And John... He helps me clean up the wine and clean up the cheese and gather everything. We go up to the court, and it was a pretty actually consequential note. We devour what it said and then go back to the cafeteria and helps me set up everything again. And he always really appreciated that, and it always really stuck with him that I went out of my way to smuggle wine into a courtroom. And uh, he says, you know, Frank, he would always say to me, Frank, I, I know a lot of stories about people trying to sn- smuggle things into jail, but it's usually drugs or contraband. Very rarely was it ever red wine. Very rarely was it ever in a uh, cafeteria courtroom. And uh, we always sort of bonded about that. And then um, there's one story, and you could still look this up in page six. I arranged a brunch in uh, November or I think um, – the fall or or yeah fall of 2010 or 2011 where i arranged a brunch with Roger Stone, Ron Kuby, John Maringolo, Jimmy Otto, Nicole Maliotakis, Joe Borelli. Now at the time Joe Borelli was nobody. Now he's a ma- now he's the minority leader of the city council. At the time Nicole Maliotakis was nobody. Now she's a congresswoman. The most noteworthy people there were Roger Stone, Ron Kuby, and John Maringolo. And we had brunch, and all of us uh, we parked illegally, and we all got our cars towed that day uh, because I think I told them it was okay to park there. And page six did an article about that. You can look it up. And then um, the last thing I'll mention about John, because it really speaks to his character. When Curtis Lee and I took over the New York State Reform Party in 2016 – I wanted to run one of the things that I've always tried to do in politics, and I have failed for the most part. One of the things that I've always tried to do in politics is create competitive judicial elections, because in New York, for the most part, there are no competitive judicial elections. And there's a little bit of a loophole when it comes to judicial elections, because uh, elections for civil court, you don't need um, a Wilson Pakula. And you don't need to be a member of a political party in order to run. So meaning 
if um, <clears throat> if Kenneth here is a Republican, he can't run for office as a Democrat or as a conservative or a working families person unless those parties give him a special permission. That special permission is called the Wilson Pakul. I'll spare you the details. I'm sorry to be in so, in, so inside baseball, but you need to understand the judicial elections don't have that. If Kenneth's a Democrat and he's a lawyer and he wants to run as a, for judge as a Republican, the only thing he has to do is circulate petitions. Same thing as a conservative. Same thing with the time with the Reform Party. So here you have this party, the Reform Party, that had ballot access but had a very low membership. So what does that mean? That means you could qualify people for the ballot with only one signature. So what I did is I made a list of every eligible lawyer that I knew. Ron Kuby, Arthur Idala, uh, Peter Gleason, Richard Aborn, Ralph Porzio, the list goes on and on. And I started running these people for judge without their knowledge and without their consent all over New York because I wanted people to have an alternative to the Democratic candidates for judge. I wanted there to be because there's no Republican. So I wanted them to have a Democrat choice and a reform choice. And I figured, let me pick the highest profile attorneys that I know and run them for judge. And I run John Maringolo. All the other lawyers that I knew, everyone that I just mentioned and a few others, they all filed a declination with the Board of Elections. So the John Maringolo doesn't file a declination. He ends up on the ballot. It turns out, we nominated the wrong John Maringolo, wrong address, same name, another Brooklyn resident, but a guy that was not named John Maringolo. The New York Daily News has a field day with this. They refer to me as a ballot bungler. You can look this up. You could Google it. A ballot bungler, as a court jester, as a political hack with a talent for wasting taxpayer money. They do this negative article about me and... This was at a time in my life where I would listen to Curtis's advice a little bit more than I do now. That's not true. I still listen to Curtis's advice. But Curtis said, you know, Frank, the Daily News called me. Here's what you have to do. You have to throw yourself on the sword. Just apologize, and it'll be less of a story. So that's what I did. I apologized publicly to both John Maringolos, um, both John the lawyer and this anonymous John Maringolo that received a notification that he was being nominated for judge and did nothing— to um, to alter that. He did nothing to decline that nomination, which I thought was an interesting choice. So the Daily News called John Maringolo the lawyer. And look, this is a prominent attorney. And um, they were very clear that they were going to do a very negative story about Curtis and, and me. And remember, this is John Gotti Jr.'s attorney. John Maringolo's got no reason to be nice to Curtis. And um, he was incredibly kind. He said, oh, just a misunderstanding. I totally understand. Uh, all good. And then John told me all day on Election Day, friends of his in Brooklyn that went to vote saw that his name was on the ballot and said, oh, how come you didn't tell us you were running? And John would tell him, no, it's not me. It's not me. It's another John Maringolo. And they said, no, you're just being bashful. You didn't want to ask us for money. And uh, I think a lot of people got votes, just uh, voted for that John Maringolo because they thought it was the other uh, John Maringolo. But John was a real sport about it. And had he lit us up to the Daily News, that he really could have had a nice article at our expense. And he didn't do that. And that's the kind of guy that he... That he was. He represented Ofer Baton. You may remember Ofer Baton from the Michael Grimm case. Uh, won that case. Got him bail. The Israeli national. 
Armando Ria, who I think his name was the bear. Uh, he represented him successfully, got an acquittal there. Uh, Dr. Richard Lucenti, a number of other high-profile cases over the years. And he scored more victories as a criminal defense attorney and a civil attorney than I think most lawyers do in a lifetime these days. He is really going to be missed. And, by the way, right after that fourth Gotti trial, he was the only member of Gotti's defense team in that fourth Gotti trial that was willing to come on the radio with Curtis. Curtis, uh, you know, and that stands in stark contrast to the first trial. During the first trial, I said to his lead attorney at the time, Jeffrey Lickman, who's been a guest on this show and who was a talk show host in his own right, does a very popular podcast now. At the beginning of the first trial, I said, Jeff, whatever happens, will you commit to coming on the radio with Curtis and Ron? He agreed. And I asked the same thing to other attorneys for John in subsequent trials. None of them did so except John Maringolo. And he did two TV. He did two appearances with Curtis. One was with John Tobacco on a show called that was on the Internet at the time called Street Sense. And then one was on on the radio. And he was a great sport about it. He was a great sport about it. There was no animosity, no holding grudges. He let Curtis do his whole professional wrestling style shtick and played into it. And uh, he and I would have lunch regularly over the years. We would stay in touch regularly. I recommended him to a lot of people over the years. Not a person has ever told me that he steered them wrong. And I think that comes across in terms of the amount of victories that he's had over the years. And uh, Skinny Joe Merlino, another household name, he got him an acquittal. And um, he's really, the I, I think the only complaint that I had about him over the years is about three years ago, he unsubscribed himself from my email list. He said I was sending out too many emails. Fine. Okay. That's, there are worse crimes. But um, I really am going to miss him. And what I did not know, because I haven't seen John in a couple of years, is that, uh, and uh, maybe he told me this, but I don't remember this. I learned yesterday that he is the father of twin one-year-olds which I did not know. And honestly, I cannot think of anything more heartbreaking than to be this brilliant, this effective as an attorney, and this nice of a person, and be gone before you're 50, and um, then to leave two one-year-olds behind. I mean, I I have a one-year-old, and I just can't imagine him growing up without a father. And now two children have to do that. I don't know that it was clear what the cause of death was. I know that John, because John was a street guy, right? And um, that's why I think he came to represent so many street guys over the years. I seem to remember, and it's been a while since he told me the story, but when he was in college, he got hurt. He had a very serious injury. It might have been football related or it might have been, um, might have been, you know, an accident of some sort. And, he was in the hospital for some time, and that's when he sort of rededicated himself to book learning and to scholarship and to scholasticism and became a lawyer in the uh, in the process. So it, I don't know if it was tied to that, uh, you know, for some reason or if it was heart related, but they don't seem to know exactly what the cause was. But my heart goes out to his children and to his father. I know he was very close to his father. Um, but they, they said in the Daily News has an obituary that the cause of death was not immediately apparent. Uh, the, the wake is going to be Sunday. 
um, at Terra Grossa in Brooklyn. I think it's uh, if you want to go, if anybody knew him, uh, 2 to 5 and 7 to 10 uh, at Terra Grossa on 13th Avenue. But uh, I'm really going to miss him, and my heart goes out to his family. A, a wonderful guy. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we've covered this far. We're going to do the $1,000 Minute in a bit. But uh, I know Carol in New Jersey has been patiently holding. Hello, Carol. Oh, thank you, Frank. I had a couple of things I wanted to mention briefly. I've been watching Jeopardy since I was a teenager, and I've really been enjoying the Tournament of Champions. It's terrific, isn't it? I was, uh, no, I was, so, I, I thought that professor absolutely. was going to win yesterday, the Steve Martin guy. But uh, it all yeah. comes down to the, how you wager in Final Jeopardy. That's everything. I know. Yeah, I had a feeling he was going to do better than he did, too. The other thing is that I'm sure you must have heard that Aaron Judge was named the uh, American League MVP, which I'm very pleased about, being a Yankee fan. Absolutely. Well-deserved. <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to mention is I'm a little surprised about Lionel also, um, because he, I don't know what's going on there, but I do know that he's rather close Mark Simone, so I don't know if that has something to do with it or not. You know, you're not the first person to say that, but uh, mm. I, I never really, because I would lament to Lionel that I never understood why Mark would treat me the way that he did. Uh, and Lionel agreed yeah. with me. You know, he said, oh, I don't understand right. it either. But I would think if he was going to follow Mark's lead, he would do what Mark does, which is badmouth me, which he doesn't do. He just kind of shuns me. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're not the first person true. to say that. I've heard that from other people as yeah. well, though, Carol. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Ronnie is in Manhawken. Hello, Ronnie. You didn't invite Lionel to your wedding. Go Thank you, Ronnie. There you go. Uh, can always count on Steve from Manhattan. See, Steve from Manhattan, he's like a shark that can smell blood in the water. And he knows that when we're down a call screener today, that that's his opportunity to get his Go Buchanan goes in there. That's his, you know, it's his, it's his style. You know, it's his, uh, it's his shtick. All right, uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. If you want to try and win $1,000, you can be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. And if you are the seventh caller, then uh, we are going to try and ask you 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you get them right, you'll be $1,000 richer. Simple as that. 800-848-9222. You can go ahead and be the seventh caller right now. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Working for the weekend. 
Um, and uh, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, just go on to our Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Frank Morano. We're trying to get more followers than um, than um, Kim Kardashian, but we got a long ways to go. So if you want to add to our Twitter army, follow me on Twitter, at Frank Morano. Um, or you can direct message me on there as well. All right, we're going to do the $1,000 Minute in just a moment. But first, let me say hello to Frank in Washington, D.C. Hello, Frank. Hey, uh, Frank, nice to talk to you. I had called you maybe a couple years ago, and you told me that I could uh, call any time on your show. I just wanted to comment on Cheers. Uh, I enjoy that show also, it's and a lot of the older shows. Maybe there might be a movie that you might be interested in. It's called The Exterminator with Charles Bronson. I think it was based in New York. That was a good movie. And there's another one with Danny Aiello called Little Italy. That's based in Toronto and the Little Italy there. And then uh, Fighting Back, that's a that's a very good movie also, Fighting Back, and that was based in Philadelphia. And also, Frank, there's a TV show, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's called Pizza Wars, the best of New York and the best of Chicago pizza. And that's what I wanted to comment on, and God bless you, and hey, peace uh, in the world. Thank you, uh, Frank. Where is that show, Pizza Wars? Where can I see that? I think I've seen it, Frank, on the travel station. Oh. We don't have cable. We just have regular TV now. But that was a that was a couple, about two, three, four, five years ago I've seen it. And um, actually I've seen it, and it had Vinny Vela. I don't know if you have ever met him. Sure. I knew Vinny, yes. He, yeah, he was very nice. Me and my dad got to actually meet him when we went up, me and my dad, and me and my dad's friend, we went up to the uh, San Gennaro Festival in New York there, and we got to meet him and shake his hand and got a picture with him. Yeah, he I was, he was uh, an institution, absolutely. Hey, thanks yeah. for the call, Frank. Uh, oh, call anytime, anytime, and I mean that. Thank you. God bless Thank you. Thank you. Uh, absolutely. Bye. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we're, we're talking about. Meantime, it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. This has been a big week for the $1,000 Minute because we had a winner earlier in the week. Let's see if we can do the same thing this week because that's what happened last time. Last time we had a winner, we had another winner right away. And uh, let's see if that happens uh, this time around. Playing today is Mike in Boston. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, how do you, how are you listening to us up there in Boston? On the internet or on one of the stations up no, there? No, 770. I love in. that. That's great. That's yeah, why it actually comes in pretty clear. we're one of the most powerful uh, signals in, in America. Do you live up there or you're visiting? I live up here. Oh, great. Okay. You should tell one of the talk stations up there they should carry us. There's some good stations up there. WBZ. <laughs> you know, I we picked up yeah. a lot of listeners from WBZ when they did away with their live programming. You should tell their folks that uh, that we should carry. They should carry us. Yeah, they went to iHeart Radio. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. You ready to go? You know the rules, Mike? I do. Okay. Let's go ahead and get started. What is an ingredient in egg salad? Egg. What American holiday is taking place next week? Thanksgiving. Name a member of the Beatles. Paul McCartney. Who is the only U.S. president to serve more than two full terms? Roosevelt. How many pounds are in a ton? 1,600. 
Ah, sorry, Jay. Uh, sorry, Mike. 2,000, 2,000 pounds in a, in a ton. Well done, though. You were on a good pace. I'm going to be on hold. Talk to Joe. Joe, please uh, take, uh, take Mike's information. We're going to send him something nice that he can wear all around town in, uh, in Boston because, uh, you know, we want people representing the show and spreading our message out there. All right. We want to uh, wish a happy birthday to my friend Joey Falco who is a great guy and a listener to this show, and to the bail bond queen of New York and New Jersey, Michelle Eskenazi, uh, Candace Pohl, who, from what I remember, is also a twin, and uh, it's her birthday today, Mike Pace, who's an old friend of mine who's a uh, Port Authority police officer. He's celebrating a birthday today, as well as Marissa Guy Dye. And uh, a lot of other people have uh, our birthdays today. We mentioned a few in the context of, um, you know, different music that we were playing. But uh, a lot of other folks that you might have heard of celebrating a birthday today. Uh, Emily Ratajkowski, the lovely Emily Ratajkowski, is, uh, I think, celebrating her birthday today. Although, uh, although I, may be, I may be off on that. Uh, but, uh, you know, so a lot of other folks have birthdays today. So if it's your birthday... Congratulations, and uh, hopefully all of your wishes come true. And obviously the most important birthday for radio people is Rita Cosby. We started the show by celebrating Rita Cosby's birthday, and I know she's got uh, big birthday plans, so I'm sure, you know, sure she's doing something fun. So happy birthday to everybody involved in that process. In terms of um, my weekend, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fun weekend, but there's a lot going on. A lot of catching up on chores. Today's the day to uh, that I have to get this New Year's Eve Eve email out. Uh, we still have to, you know, make arrangements and all sorts of other things and uh, get this email out. So I'm going to work on that today. That's going to be a big portion of my day. Got to get the car inspected, all sorts of other things. Oh, and you know, Rita Cosby's not the only journalist whose birthday it is today. Megan Kelly, she's celebrating her birthday today. So is actor Owen Wilson. And so is actress Linda Evans. So uh, happy birthday to everybody. And it would have been Joseph Kennedy's birthday. Uh, Actually, no. You know whose birthday it would have been? Speaking of presidents, Chester A. Arthur, a New Yorker who was president. He was president when uh, he became president when James Garfield was assassinated. And you know the first office, the first elective office that Chester A. Arthur ever had? Vice president, vice president, never ran for public office before until he ran as vice president. Very interesting story in that Chester A. Arthur represented a faction of the Republican Party that was more establishment. And Garfield represented a a faction of the party that was more, I don't know, more uh, populist, more reform oriented. The They called the Chester A. Arthur faction the stalwarts. They called the James Garfield faction the half-breeds. And because Garfield, who was a dark horse for the Republican nomination in 1880, because he won the nomination and he was a half-breed, in, in the name of party unity, they made him take somebody from the other faction, the stalwarts, as his running mate. And so they picked Chester A. Arthur, who everybody liked, who nobody knew anything about, didn't have much of a record. His whole claim to fame in Republican circles was he was a likable guy. He was a good guy to have at a cocktail party. 
congenial guy, would dress well, and was nice, and would do what he was told, would do whatever the party machine told him. But the head of the stalwart faction of the GOP at the time was another New Yorker, a senator from New York by the name of Roscoe Conkling. And so Roscoe Conkling was Chester A. Arthur's boss. He was his political mentor, and every office that Chester A. Arthur had was due to Roscoe Conkling appointing him there. And it was win-win. Roscoe Conkling got a loyal soldier who did everything he told him, except once. The only time Chester A. Arthur ever disobeyed Roscoe Conkling was at that Republican convention in 1880. Conkling was incensed that his guy, Ulysses S. Grant, didn't get nominated. So he told Chester A. Arthur, you better decline that nomination. No way you're taking that nomination. And it was the only time, or the first time, I should say, that Chester A. Arthur said no to Roscoe Conkling. He told Roscoe Conkling... I never expected to achieve being the vice president. This is a far greater thing than I ever dreamed of. I'm going to say yes. And he did. Garfield is killed because the lunatic that killed him, Charles Gateau, thought that um, Chester A. Arthur would appoint him as minister to France or England. Chester A. Arthur obviously wasn't going to do that. But James Garfield, in the short time that he was president, was very interested in reform. He wanted to kind of reform the spoil system and move more in a civil service direction. He wanted to reform politics, Garfield did. And even though Chester A. Arthur's faction of the party was dead set against it, and even though a lot of people blamed him for Garfield's death because it was one of his supporters, essentially, I mean, he was a lunatic, but it was one of his supporters that shot Garfield, um... They they um, actually, he didn't have high expect. nobody had high expectations for him. But um, he followed through on Garfield's vision of reform of the political process. So there you have it. By the way, I misspoke. It was not, a, today's the day that he died, not his birthday. It's the day that he died. But everything else that I said is true. And um, he had, obviously, because he didn't go along with what the party bosses wanted him to do, he didn't get renominated in 1884. And then he died shortly thereafter on this day in 1886, I believe. So uh, he's somebody that I remember fondly. And if you ever visit, um, I think it's Bryant Park here in Manhattan, you'll see a nice old statue of him. Speaking of presidents, I do want to acknowledge What's happening this weekend, you know whose birthday it is this weekend? Joe Biden. Joe Biden is going to be 80 years old this weekend. And uh, I believe it's on Sunday. Yeah. I'm wishing him a happy birthday. Nothing I want more than uh, Joe Biden's health. And uh, I mean that very sincerely. I wish well of whoever the president is. I want whomever the president is to be healthy and do well for the country and themselves, but especially when uh, Kamala Harris is only a heartbeat away from the presidency, I want Biden to be thriving and as healthy as he can possibly be, as far as I'm concerned. So uh, so that's that. Hey, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame coming up in a few minutes. If you want to call in, you can do so and be heard for 15 seconds at uh, 800 848 
That's 800-848-9222. You know what I was thinking? I really need either a 501c4 or a political action committee. I'm looking at some of these expenditures that PACs are making or super PACs are making or 501c4s, and it's pretty broad what you can spend this money on. And I really need something that will just pay for my lunches and dinners. Whenever I go out for a, a lunch or a dinner with somebody that's even, you know, marginally related to politics, I need like a, a special interest of some sort to foot the bill for that. So, um, you know, I, I'm going to give some thought to that. I was thinking about doing a, a pack, but then somebody said, no, you have to disclose your donors. Somebody, you know, People may want to have their names disclosed. Uh, but then I, if I make it a 501c4, then I can't make direct contributions to candidates. So it would be nice to be able to go to a candidate's fundraiser and have my group, my whatever, my whatever we're calling it, Frank Pack, Frank Pack foot the bill for this fundraiser instead of me. And I can't do that if it's a 501c4. So um, I got to give that some thought. That's also on my list of uh, things to figure out over the weekend. 15 seconds of fame coming up momentarily. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. For this brilliant theme song, uh, he has he's come up with a great um, Thanksgiving-related song that uh, I have to get to listen to before the holiday as well. Oh, you know what? We didn't go over all the hullabaloo over Rita Cosby's birthday and the drama surrounding the cupcake delivery and so forth. We did not uh, discuss pizza this week. We got pizza this week, and uh, we got two pies. Well, we got two whole pies for everybody. One was a chicken tomato pie. One was a like a spinach white pie. And one gluten-free pie for Matt Blaze, who's doing his best to avoid wheat and gluten. Um, what was your review today, Matt Blaze? It was all right. The, I mean, the gluten-free? Oh, yeah. That one's always good. It's it's. I, I like the flat crust, the thin crust. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I always enjoy the thin crust. But So you tried the gluten-full as well? Yes, the uh, what was that? The white. It was uh, uh, like a spinach. Spinach. spinach yeah, that was white. pretty good. Yeah, but you didn't try the chicken tomato. No, I'm not. A, I hate tomatoes, so I don't. You eat hate them. tomatoes. Hate tomatoes. Love ketchup. Hate tomatoes. Do you like tomato sauce? Yes. Whoa! I, I boy, I, I had uh, no idea about. Uh, yeah. About any of this, I've tried. Cannot do a tomato. So you have, what? You have Kenneth that doesn't eat dairy. You who stay away from gluten and... Not really. I mean, I don't know where you got that you from. You told me. No, it was like supposed to be like I was doing like this carb-free thing. Uh-huh. And somehow you 
thought like gluten free was a substitute for carb free. Yeah. So now it's I always get the gluten free pizza, which is fine. I don't. All right. So we won't get mind. you the gluten free pizza. But I anymore. do like the, I like the thin crust. So you can get a thin crust pizza. If you want my request? All right. Well, for next week uh, we'll see. We'll take or your whatever the week after. Well, th- today's performance, uh, you know, is, is I'm not sure if anybody's requests are being granted. Next week. Least of all, Kenneth's. There was a lot going on. Yeah, well, that's right. Hey, uh, Joe is here uh, filling in today. Uh, Joe, how did uh, how did you find the pizza that you sampled? Or I do you did, have a dietary restriction I as well? I didn't sample any pizza. I was too busy helping helping. Oh, see? The show. We've been, it's, it was a really rough night, but we got through it. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> you, should got, you guys should get the Purple Heart or something after this. Wait, wait, wait. Now we're getting the Purple Heart. Now you just, <laughs> you just mocked the performance. <laughs> No, no, like no, no, a minute no, ago. I know. Well, no. Well, because both can be true. It can be that a lot of things went wrong, but also that you guys had a very tough time under adverse circumstances, right? So that we get rewarded or not? Because two seconds ago you said we don't get rewarded. Well, uh, that's fair. I, I, I uh, you, you know me. But by tomorrow, I'll have uh, totally forgiven you for all our mistakes today. So uh, that's that's that. Uh, Joe, what do you do normally during the week? Uh, right now I'm just, um, I wait to get called in. Uh, I have, I have a job interviews set up, but right now I'm just waiting to get called in. Oh, so so you're not full-time anywhere. I'm not full-time anywhere. So this, it's not like, uh, this is, that you worked the whole day and now you're having to stay until the wee hours. No, no, not like that at all. All right. Well, good. How did you find your experience here today? Uh, well, this is the second time I've worked the show, and it's 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 pretty it's pretty nice. It's a it's a nice show. Yeah, good good four hours. All right, well, good. You, I, I love the enthusiasm there. Thank that's you. that's what I'm that's what I'm interested in. All right, very good. Uh, without further ado, we're going to give uh, people an opportunity to be heard for fifteen seconds. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We're one open line right now. If you want to start queuing up, uh, it is time for. Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. E. Frank. Yes, I noticed that Mayor Adams is laying down and low in regards to his political agenda for the city. Uh, when is uh, Mayor Adams going to tell the truth about uh, the migrants and everything that's going on? Hopefully, it's at 8:40 with Sid Rosenberg, uh, Frankie, and Glendale. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Great show. Hey, did you hear a cheese factory exploded in France? No. Debris is everywhere. Oh, Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. I hear they're going to hunt bear in New Jersey in December. It'll certainly be chilly. I bet there'll be plenty of shrinkage and lots of explaining after. At least wear a sweater. 800-848-9222. Roger in Massachusetts. I've heard a lot in the last couple of years about our need to invest in housing. They're throwing up apartment buildings up where I'm at and everywhere. And we heard about the 2,500 apartment uh, low-income thing in Willis Point. I thought we were having a baby boom. But no, Chuck Schumer put the kibosh on that yesterday when he said we need all these people from South America to come up and replenish us. 800-848-9222. Josh on Long Island. 65 Immigration Act rebuilt the left-wing Democratic Party nationally. Folks all together now. You thought I was going to say Buchanan, right? You thought I was going to say that. Repeal the 65 Immigration Act, folks. 800-848-9222. Roger in New York City. Indeed. Indeed. It's a fool's gold. As soon as you buy gold, the resale price drops 25% in view of the cost of safekeeping and other expenses. Don't buy gold. 
Don't buy gold. 800-848-9222. David in the Bronx. With so many staff members with diet uh, issues, I feel sorry for the toilet at WABC. <laughs> Mark in Westchester. Yes, sir. Former guardian angel, I just want to thank you for making my entire night a pleasure. I drive uh, about an hour before you get on, on the radio, and I listen to your entire show. You are an inspiration, and my children also enjoy uh, the stories I tell them about uh, what you said. Thank you, Mark. I, I would disagree if I could. I am an inspiration. And finally, Gary on Staten Island. Biden wants another $37 billion for Ukraine. It's, uh, it's a waste of money. All right. You still had six seconds there, Gary. Thank you. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll end it there on that note. I, I, I always get nervous whenever I find myself agreeing with Gary, but I, I do tend to agree, um, you know, with Gary on that one. All right. Um, got an action-packed show for you planned on Monday. Uh, we're also going to try and get a hold of, um, of Max Moore to see if we can't continue our cryonic discussion. Uh, if you want to email me, you can do so, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. It's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. As it stands now, there are two kittens in my garage that are being, I don't know, uh, I don't know, uh, whatever you call it. And uh, they're going to be picked up on Sunday and taken to a rescue for them to be socialized. I met these kittens yesterday. They're quite cute, I must say. So uh, hopefully they uh, they can be socialized so they don't remain feral until they're, they're older. But um, we'll see where that goes. You know, uh, also, just on the Lionel front in January, because I am thinking about going to this show, uh, I'm reminded of Gary Ackerman, the former congressman who actually introduced Lionel at one of his past shows, who said this. It's time to bring out our headliner. Nobody has to tell you who he is. He's a phenomenal former trial lawyer from Florida. Imagine growing up in Florida and then moving to New York. He's my mother in reverse. <laughs> He's called so many talk shows, they gave him his own show down in Tampa. That is Gary Ackerman, um, and you got a sense of uh, the kind of humor you can expect at Lionel's show. I'm really thinking of going. I'm going to work on Rachel over the weekend. Frank Moreno, good day. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.